Welcome to episode 680 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 680 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James. I always how you going, mate? Very good. Happy birthday, Bevan. Oh, it was birthday yesterday. Oh, well, happy for yesterday. Thanks, mate. Did you get the present? Uh, well, I've got some presents. But did you get my present? Yeah, what was it? Yeah, so it was that really good one you got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that imaginary present. It was as good as the one you got me. <laughs> I got, what, I got a wallet? Because you know what, John? I got a wallet as well for my birthday. Yeah, really? Yes, well, I lost I my wallet recently. And I had one of those tiles, mm. which has saved my butt a lot of times, mm. till the battery runs out. <laughs> so That's right. <laughs> and so, and unfortunately, the tile is really great, but they don't tell you, they don't give you a buzz saying the battery's running low. So I lost my wallet. So I got a wallet. I got a massage. Mm. Got some new nose hair clippers. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I need Practical. <laughs> my old one's died on me, so I got some new ones. And they look pretty high. And they even do your eyebrows as well, John. Oh, I've got one of those. Yep, yep, yep. so that's good, that's good. And then, uh, anything else? Yeah, I've got some awesome movie vouchers. Nice. So, that's, that's my birthday. Yep. Anyway, John, I'm talking proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. Galactic Buffer, and John, there's a second one this week. Generation You Can. Oh, tell me, well, we're going to get a little bit into this later on the show, but the thing you need to know is there's a discount code, isn't there, John? Use promo code IAMTALK. Um, there's a bunch of websites you can use it on, not just the .com, so for Aussies, Kiwis, and Canadians, take advantage of that. Uh, we'll have the websites listed on the show notes if you want to go check them out. Okay, uh, also the patrons of the show, let's name a few, Jombo. Robert Dutchy Lines. We've got Christopher Raging Rancy. And Lee 20 Eye Spore. They're all good nicknames. Raging Rancy is a great uh, nickname. Uh, are indeed. Hey, I'm Raging Rancy. Okay, in this week's show we've got some uh, news, some big news, well, big news, some good news. Uh, hot Topic, we've got an interview, John. We have, we're talking with Matt Beck from, or Bach, 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 from, like the pianist. Uh, like the pianist from Generation You Can, but he's also an Ironman winner. So we've sort of blend that in together, telling you guys what You Can is, but also finding out about Matt's Ironman win, which was awesome. So another one of our Epic Camp interviews, and who's it with? Uh, we've got Terry uh, Dirty Little Secret Bessardi from Bessardi. Switzerland. That's a great last name. Bessardi. <laughs> With Newsom Isles, Bessardy. Yeah. <laughs> it's much better. Uh, we've got Winger of the Week, got questions and answers at the end, John. There was a big race happening over the weekend and some surprising results and some controversy. So I got an email from Peter Colson saying, three, two, one, rant begin. Uh, so let's talk about the ITU test event that happened in Tokyo. Test event for next year. Bit of a problem about the women's race, isn't it? Well, hold on. So let's, uh, if, if I saw on triathonlive.tv, uh, if you want to get a subscription, I think it was like $2 US for the rest of the season. There's only one race to go. But you can go back but, and watch races. Then you can go back and watch races. So if you do want to go and watch the ITU coverage, especially if you don't know the results from Tokyo at the weekend, fast forward a good five minutes because I'm going to be talking for a while about this. Okay, okay. Here uh, we go. So the rant begins. Uh, <laughs> you can, don't even go for 10 minutes. You're missing the next 10 minutes of the show. Pause, Bevan. Pause. Oh, oh, the phone's going off. Here we go. Pause. We've paused. John, he's, he's, he's building. He's doing oh. building stuff, and so he's talking to his building guys. Wheeling and dealing. And I can't even remember what we were talking about. I think the rant was about to begin. The rant was, was so, so... Okay, so yeah. going back to the race. The ITU test event test event happening in, in Tokyo, and the women's race, lots of controversy. First of all, it got shortened, and that's a problem for the Olympics, isn't it? 
It is. So it seems that there's some sort of new heat index. I don't know if it's new or if it's been around for a while. So with the swim, you have a there's a, there's a scale, a table you look at. If the air temperature's this, if the water temperature's this, it's a non-wetsuit, you know, and, it, and it's fairly clear cut. It's uh, there's no, you know, it's not a decision. It's it's literally you look at the table and it is or it isn't. So it's pretty straightforward. I'd never heard of this run index they kept talking about. And so basically, the temperature got too great or was predicted to be too great on the run. Uh, so the decision was that the run was cut in half. Now, do you know what that temperature was? It wasn't as high as you thought it was. So I was looking at the the data before the race, and I think it was going to get up to maybe thirty two. Uh, and the really? race was in the race was at started at seven thirty in the morning. So I'm picking it probably didn't get up to that. It was still would have been bloody hot. Thirty two degrees for ten k. It would have been Kona type conditions, I think. So you can still for Olympic you, athletes, you can screw yourself over, and you can do yourself some real harm when you go full noise in that temperature. But it did seem kind of odd to me. Uh, so the the, the, the you rationale. Know what? If it was forty. Get it. Yeah. Late thirties. Forty and the beating afternoon sun. Yeah. Get it. So it was a bit of a head scratcher for me. Well, that's a problem a next year, isn't it? Because it changes the race. It does, uh, and it kind of uh, it changes. It, you know, like some, like you know, like let's say you're a more experienced athlete or a young kid. Hmm. You know, a shorter race is to your advantage. And yeah, and, and the same. Th- what applies is it's just you've got to race differently. If you try to go and run a two, th- you know, say you run a two forty marathon at Ironman New Zealand, and then you go and try to run two forty marathon in Kona, it's a bit different. It's probably yeah. going to end in tears. Same thing here. You go and run twenty nine minutes at somewhere moderate, then you go and try and do that there. You're probably going to come up short. So it. it Seems like a very odd decision. And the ramifications for it are fairly significant because a lot of the countries now, the selection is not valid. Uh, And so you've trained, for some people, this has been their massive, massive target for a year. And then. And and, and as we were talking about last week, you know, the different qualifications from the different countries, a lot of it relied on this race. Hmm. So that was, again, that that threw it into controversy. So the way that the race panned out is. it came together on the bike, and and that comes one person. A couple of girls got away early on the bike, didn't they? They did. There was a, there was a break, but one person, Flora Duffy, is an absolute animal on the bike. This is her first race back. She hasn't raced for over a year, uh, and one or two that shows one or two people can have a massive impact on the race. Would have been totally different results if it hadn't been for her. She rode uh, the uh, group up to the to the leaders, and oh, so the it, leaders would have stayed away. It was probably her. they probably would have stayed away. And the the other thing that happened was the second group. There was another female there, Taylor Nib, and she's an axe on the bike as well. And she kept the other group in the game. But if if she hadn't been there, I'm sure that group would have lost a lot more time than they did. So two athletes had a massive impact on the bike. And for everybody who watches ITU races, saying oh the bike's easy, it's flat, there's only a few corners. She had them all in a world of pain. <laughs> like yeah, you could just you. I, I was saying to Thomas. Look at the expressions on their face on the bike. They are and they're sitting hurting. behind her. Yeah, she was awesome. crushing it. It was impressive. She is my raging hot favourite if she's injury free for next year. Uh, the other big interesting thing that happened in the females race was Katie Zaveris crashed out on the bike, which was a bizarre incident. It's, you didn't really see a hundred percent what happened, but it was straight line riding, and she just went. I don't know if somebody tipped her wheel or what, but she just crashed and crashed badly and took out uh, another one of her teammates. So it was race over for her, and she's the world number one. And 
as it turns out, selection, you know, she's now got to go and prove herself elsewhere. Although, doesn't everybody? Well, I, th- I heard that maybe the Americans stuck with the selection policy. Don't know that if that's 100% sure, okay. but every country was slightly different. So you've got here that the, they were racing for nothing. Well, and the, so this probably comes down to the end. So in the end, uh, the two uh, the, they came off the bike and three athletes cleared away pretty quickly. It was Flora Duffy and then the two uh, British girls. It was Jess Learmonth and Georgia Taylor-Brown. They dropped uh, Duffy fairly early in the piece, remembering this is a 5K run. And what happened next was those two ran shoulder to shoulder. Georgia Taylor-Brown's probably the, or no, is the better runner of the two. Um, they're coming into this, the blue carpet. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Waiting, waiting, sprint. Going to be a sprint. It's going to be a sprint? No, there's not going to be a sprint. They cross the line together, uh, hand in hand. Now, we'll talk about what happens next. You're thinking, why would they do that? Um, firstly, selection. If you're finishing first and second and the selection policy might not be coming into play anyway, there wasn't really a selection dilemma for yeah, the team. Now, before them. the race, they would have known that the selection is no longer there. Well, no, I don't know. That, that's, we don't know that stuff. Okay. And for it was going to be different for a lot of countries. They may not have known. I did read in one of the policies for one country, like, if it got changed to a duathlon, the results don't count. So I imagine if it got changed to but, a but short triathlon. Was it the first two who went through from England anyway? Uh, no, they had to be top three there. So it had a very strong weighting on this race. Okay, but so, it wasn't if, so automatic. If, if they drew the race, if technically they would have got the slot. Mm. No, not technically, but they, they both. It wasn't going to make a big difference whether they got first or second. I don't think if they'd sprinted, finished, and one of them had won by one meter, I don't think that would mean you're going to the Olympics. You're not. Yeah. Uh, I think it. You know, they'd, they'd proved their point that they were the two best athletes on the day. Yeah. So the, the selection dilemma for them was was kind of out the window. I, I, from what I can see, uh, there's no points for this race, so it doesn't help you with your World Series ranking, and doesn't help with you finishing higher to get better prize money, and I couldn't find, and I could well be wrong here, but I couldn't find anywhere any prize money listed for this race either. Uh, there may well have been, I just couldn't easily find it. Okay. So you can kind of understand the rationale, well we're not really racing for much here, um, and we've got the World Championship final in two weeks' time, where we are racing for a lot, so... And we're first and second. And we're but roommates, and we're friends. And we're first and, and second. First and second, so we've proved our point. Or first equal. So, so I get their point of view. What happened next? They both got disqualified. <laughs> Bizarre. So what's all that about? So there's a ruling in the ITU rules that says you cannot... I think contrive is the right word that they use, a result uh, by crossing the line together. So if you cross the line together, it will obviously come down so to a final finish. When Brownlee pushed his brother, did he get disqualified? No, but the rules changed after that, and you can't do that any longer. And I read um, John Leveson from Try 247 made the point in his article about the race that the Brownleys were warned about this rule a number of years ago, saying you cannot cross the line together, oh, you get okay. disqualified. So some people knew about the rule, but clearly not everybody enough to, to communicate this information to those two. So, so the fatal mistake was to lift your arms up together. Yes. Because otherwise you could have argued, oh, we were just doing our best performance. Like, obviously it wouldn't have been, but you could... Yeah, so I, I, it's a rule. You've got to apply the rule. So, so when did you figure out they were disqualified? Not until I got Peter Colson's email, because <laughs> okay. I, I watched the race in the morning and then they'd finished and I stopped, record, stopped it, yeah. and they didn't announce it straight away or anything like that, so I don't know how long after it was. Uh, and initially Peter sent this email saying, three, two, one, rant, and I thought... Initially, I did rant going, this is complete and utter bullshit. What, they're the crossing the line together? Well, no, they get disqualified. 
it's like, I, I, but then I started thinking about it and I go, do we really want to encourage, you know, this is competitive sport, should they have been disqualified? Nothing. It's a pretty pretty harsh. But I kind of okay, I want to see I want to see a sprint finish. Okay. I don't want to see them coming across together. That's not age group racing. Age group racing is totally different. If you come across with a friend and you've been out there all day together, this is going for first and second place in a race. But how's it hurt the sport? Um, I, I don't think it really does. Uh, yeah, because isn't it an athlete's choice? Yeah, but people are saying this is good sportsmanship and stuff, and I'm like. Oh. Uh, my, if you uh, and I also see them running along, not necessarily these two, but a lot of athletes running along, and they'll hand somebody else in another country uh, a thing of water. And yeah. I'm thinking, it's their responsibility to go and get the water. If they want water, go and get your water. Um, don't hand it off and yeah, give somebody an unfair advantage. But there advantage. are written, unwritten rules of sport. Mm. You know, like when in in a, in a cycle race and someone drops their body, you'll help them out. You know, the, yeah. You know, there's things we do. That, but if somebody's made a conscious decision. I'm not going to go through the water station to get a water and then you're handing them. I'm thinking, well, they've chosen not to do that. They're on the opposition team. Maybe I'm a bit hard-nosed. So I'm, I'm, I am on your fence. I'm thinking, well, is there really any harm done by, by having this result there, uh, by having them going across hand-in-hand hand together? Probably not, but I, personally I'd rather see them go for a sprint finish. And, and oh, I think for entertainment. But although, maybe, well, it's a tough one. It does seem harsh. It, it is, yeah. It I, does seem harsh. Mm. You know, because athletes... I'm not quite sure how it hurts the sport. No. You know, and I, and I do agree. Do you want to see, he's got a message and he's just totally, look at the it's Craig, Craig Kirkwood, will you be issuing a statement saying that you were wrong about not getting a Kiwi on the podium at the, uh, at the test event? Ha, ha, ha. And I've we'll be talking on, about that in a second. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. But, but to me, but the thing is, I, uh, it's a really tough one, isn't it? Uh, I think, that I, if you're going to be honest, I'm going to be honest, I think it's too harsh. Oh, I, I agree. I think it's too harsh, um, but it won't be happening again, will it? Well, no, and at least now it may, everyone will know. Mm. But, but you know, you might give a fine, mm. but to, to, to dis- dismiss the results. And Flora Duffy's going to go, well, I didn't really win this race. Yeah. Come on, I'm on the gold medal. I really, I kind of don't want it. And that's how I'd feel if I got third and got elevated to first. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree it's, it's harsh, but it's good that the rule's been highlighted and we all know about it now. Yeah. And thank God it didn't happen at the Olympics. Imagine that. Well, you, well, you'd think you'd sprint at the Olympics, wouldn't you? Although, maybe not. If you came across in a dead tie, would you both get a gold medal? And then no, the but it's the intent, isn't it? Yeah. The intent's the problem. And the intent is they decided not to race to the finish. But if you came across together and you managed to make sure the photo finished, like you literally walked across. Because originally they gave a win to one of them, didn't they? Yeah, no, just them. I thought, uh, yeah, yeah, because in the photo finish, her chest um, went across first. So technically yeah. she got the win. But if you really contrived it and said, right, three, two, one, cross the line together, yep. would you both get a gold and then third gets silver, a bronze? We know now that you, you probably wouldn't. But imagine if this happened at the Olympics. Yeah. That would be a controversy, and that would be extremely harsh. So anyway, it was interesting on the female side of things. Uh, the men's men's race was also very interesting for for other reasons. And my summary of this whole weekend of racing, it was just weird. Some of the stuff that went on. Uh, the men's race, the the breakaway at the beginning was was too big to stick. So it really did come down to, for the most part, a run. There was a few guys in the second group, but pretty much. Uh, so so as they get off the bike. You're thinking what? Well, you're thinking the the big Kahuna's uh, Burt Whistle. You know he's been one of the four athletes. Number one. Yeah, four athletes of the season. Brownlee's shown in the last race he's getting 
back towards being good, not back towards his best. And we didn't have the Spanish there. We did not have the Spanish, and you didn't have uh, Vincent Louis. But you had uh, Schumann, who got third at the last Olympics. You had Yelly Gaines, who's been doing extremely well in one race. Richard Murray, he was in the second group, okay. so he wasn't in contention. He had Connix, who won in Bermuda, and Lacour, who's another consistent Frenchie. Uh, so you're going, yeah, probably those guys are going to be in the mix. And then you had the, the sprint distance guys who've been doing very well at sprints. Uh, so we had our Kiwi Hayden Wild. Um, you had uh, Tyler Michelchuk and uh, a, couple, a few others in the mix. And you're going, maybe they'll be there or thereabouts. As it turned out, it was, as I said, it was a bit weird because Bert Whistle wasn't anywhere. Um, Brownlee got dropped early on. Uh, Schumann got dropped fairly early on. Yellow Gaines, um, he looked like he had some issues and got dropped after leading early on. Connix DNF'd. Lacour wasn't anywhere. And it turned out to be Miss, uh, Missile, uh, Tyler Misselchuk. Sorry if I get that n- name pronunciation wrong. Uh, Hayden Wild and Casper Stornis from Norway, who won the Bermuda race the year before and has not done anything since. And when I say hasn't done anything, his positions have been like in the 20s, 30s, 40s. Oh, really? So you've got these three guys, unpro- all, well, with the exception of Stornis in one race, unproven over Olympic distance. So the uh, Chuck and uh, our Kiwi Hayden Wild have done very well in, short, uh, in sprints and been on the podium, but you would have never picked these three no way. to be going head-to-head. And there was all sorts of tactics. All three of them didn't really look like they were under pressure. They were running controlled, surging, tactical stuff going on, and everybody else was out the back door. It was bizarre. Because yeah, I watched, it, I just watched the, this morning. I just watched the um, the kind of recap video, and the gap was huge. Oh yeah, yeah. No, they completely towed everybody, and from a pretty early stage. And I saw an interview of Hayden Wild, and he was just saying that he tried to attack early, and he kind of he went up. from about one point five k out, and then the, the others uh, came over the top of him, and then he kind of he, uh, he certainly didn't give up, no. but he conceded. He oh, then, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm cooked here. This ain't happening. <laughs> uh, and then it came down to a fantastic sprint between uh, between the other two and cut Tyler. Mr. Chuck ended up taking Cause he, it because right. he went behind first, didn't he? And then he, he took mm. him at the very Stornis end. Stornis put out a big attack; it was impressive. So that was it. Was a fantastic race to watch, uh, and for us Kiwis, I was I was glued to it because I said last week I didn't think any Kiwi could get on the the podium at all. So uh, now, does for him is he guaranteed the Olympics now? No, he. Uh, they were saying on the footage that he was, but and my son Thomas was saying he's guaranteed selection, guaranteed selection. I said, no, he's not. I've got the selection criteria right here. You've got to get third in this race, and you have to get. Uh, no, you have to get top three here, and you have to get top three at another Olympic distance race within the qualification period. So that was I didn't quite understand which race. If he got a third in Lausanne or a top three in Lausanne, then he'll be guaranteed in. But he's but, guaranteed in, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. he's yeah. guaranteed pick for us. Who is that? who's that other guy then? Uh, we've got two others. Sam Wilde is uh, usually... Is he the blonde boy? Uh, he's a tall blonde guy, but yep. they've also got Taylor Reed and Ryan Sisson. So we've got four potential. So hopefully we'll only get two slots, won't we? Uh, no, I think we'll probably get three if they keep consistently racing. Okay. Well, so, yeah. so who, who, who would you take? Um, well, you've also got to think about the mixed relay because yeah. you've got to have your athletes that do the individual race doing the relay. So I'd definitely take um, Wild, and then I'd probably take Taylor Reed for the relay. Sam Ward's probably our second-ranked athlete, so you'd still take him as your sort of reserve for the relay. But Taylor Reed, his advantage is he's a very good swimmer, so he can pull you out of the shit in the mixed, rally, mixed relay. Are we going to see Alistair Brown at the Olympics? Who knows? Uh, at this stage, you know. You don't think so? Uh, well, yeah, he, he's got to go and win a race probably so I don't although Great Britain have they've yeah. made it easier for those two haven't they yeah they they're have. still got to perform but they're still got to perform so you, you know your Great Britain pick is going to be Johnny Brownlee and then you've got to go Alex Yee and then the third spot yeah 
could potentially put Brownlee in there is certainly he would be a, a great one to to be a domestique. Not that he'd want that role, I doubt. But for Alex Yee to to make sure that he he's in the in the running coming off the bikes. So lots of different uh, different things to go uh, under the bridge between now and selection time. We also had the power race on um, at the weekend as well, um, and I thought I'd just the para classifications I thought I really don't understand what any of these mean Um, so whenever you look at para races it's always started the classification with PT for para triathlon and then you've got WC which stands for wheelchair no uh, and then you've got uh, WC1 which is your most impaired and WC2 which your least impaired and then you've got the PTS classification and that ranges from 2, 3, 4, 5 uh, and that is when you are an amputee of some description Um, so 2 being severe impediment and five being mild impediment and then the third classification you've got is a PTV um, those and those are uh, the ones that are visually impaired and again you've got a level of one to three so one being um, totally blind and three being um, partially sighted so when you have the wheelchair classifications they compete for the same medal even though there's two classifications there um, all the other ones in the P uh, the PST which is where you've uh, you're missing a limb then they compete for their own indiv- own medals so all those different classifications so I guess that's whether you've lost one leg two legs one think, arm two yeah. arm etc yep. and then the visually impaired also comp- uh, they compete into one medal race so the wheelchair athletes and the blind athletes all compete on a level playing field uh, and then the ones who have got a limb missing have their own classifications. So um, we had that racing over the weekend but this is where it gets weird again is because uh, their swim got cancelled because the water quality was not high enough and again that's a major problem for, uh, for the Olympics potentially. Who picked, this, who picked this venue? It's a great venue. It's, uh, yeah, well, not this weekend. Not this weekend, but uh, Tokyo, I mean, the heat is an issue for, for all sports. Uh, and I'll just look at the wheelchair and the men's. Uh, Joseph Townsend from Great Britain took that out, and I'll just look at one classification in the females. I was going to look at the wheelchair for the female athletes as well, and Wakako... Toshida from Japan took that out in the females race. She's older than us, Bevan, 1974. Good work. <laughs> That's pretty good. Effort. Okay, then. So then we also had the teams triathlon, and the French took that out. Oh, and this was brilliant as well. Huge lead changes all over the race. Uh, fantastic. Alec coming off into the final leg, Alex Yee, uh, there was three athletes that came together. Alex Yee was one of them, and you had Connix from Spain and... A French? No, Aussie. Uh, no, no, oh, Aussie. Okay, no, no, so. no, no, no. Um, American uh, Ben Canute, and he was. Uh, they they went f- they went hell for leather to try to crack Yee on the bike. It was brilliant. They were attacking, and to his credit, he stuck with them. It was very impressive. Uh, so you're coming into the run, you're thinking Alex Yee is by far the fastest Cause, runner. Because only running how far? Uh, I think it's 2k it's either 1.6k or 2k oh so you're putting your money on Alex Yee putting your money on Alex Yee put the house on it putting the house on it but Connix is a good athlete he's won a race this year and he just sat on Yee's shoulder the whole way they were just I saw a stat that and whether or not the course is accurate for 2k it said they ran 239 per k average whether or not that's true but whatever they were gunning it and he sat on him sat on him he looked like he was in a world of pain they both opened up a massive sprint looked like yeah he had him came around him photo finish and uh, really brilliant racing brilliant that's exciting racing isn't it it is and uh 
and yeah, lots of lead, cha- lots of, you know, quite a few lead changes. The Poms had it in the bag, and um, but won't really mean too much for the Olympics because all the teams pretty much didn't have their sort of hundred percent A teams in. And you can't qualify. It's you're, everyone's in, aren't they? Uh, no, there is qualifying. I think the top yeah, I know, but all the top countries, all the top be countries, there. Yeah, be in. of course, yeah. Um, so overall, weird, interesting. Some concerns looking forward to next year. Yeah, the the, the temperature is a is a real concern. Uh, well, more than you know, why can't athletes run in thirty two degrees? And what the other thing that was weird was so you have the racing was was it Thursday Friday for the individuals. Saturday was a para para race uh, where the swim got cancelled. Yeah, by Sunday the water quality improved again and we had a triathlon again. So again, that was weird. We also had some other results happening over the weekend. We had, over the weekend we had Embrun Man. You got the results here, John? I have indeed. Just uh, pulling them up right now. Embrun Man is pretty much number one on my list of races I want to do one day. We had William Menison take that out from Stud Francais. Swam fifty fifty nine, rode a four forty six, which really shows how hard that bike ride is, and ran a three oh six for a nine forty eight. Andrzej Vistika was second, and Victor Del Corral was third. On the female side of things, Judith, Judith Cochran was first in a 54-minute swim, 6.40 on the bike, and a 3.15 run for a 10.54, ahead of Tina Dickers and Meredith Hill from the Noosa Triathlon Club. We also had Ironman Mount Tremblant, and uh, good news is, is Lionel Sanders is now going to Kona. It looks like he took it pretty easy. No, he did not. Oh, did he not? <laughs> this is why when we look at stats like this, we have to be careful what Okay, because I looked at that and I thought, okay, well, he looks like he took it pretty easy in the run. No, no. 2.53 ain't going easy. Uh, Cody Beals absolutely crushed it. Lionel Sanders, Lionel Sanders was saying that was one of the best triathlon performances of all time. That might be going a little bit far, but this was impressive okay, on tell me this about course. It. So he swam 50.36, rode a 4.20, and then ran Now, what's he like as a swimmer? Um... There or thereabouts. Oh no, because Lionel Sanders is only a minute back from him. So, yeah. so like Lionel Sanders is now he's sort of a, a Sebastian Kingley level swim. You're going to be maybe hang on to the back of the second pack if you're lucky. More likely third pack. And that's the key to his race, really, isn't it? It is. Yep. So like Cody, Be- Cody Beals, so impressive. Lionel Sanders could not talk him up enough, saying how impressive this run was. Really, uh, the the course here is not easy. It's very hilly on the bike, and the run is not flat either by any stretch of the imagination. So to run a two forty two is bloody impressive. To go sub eight on that course is amazing. So really? first you got to go. Awesome, Lionel Sanders qualified. He he worked for it. He didn't. Completely empty the tank. He's not at full fitness. Yeah, although, come on, he's 24 minutes in front of the next guy. Yep, he, but he, he was stoked with his race. I saw his little post-race YouTube clip, and he was really pleased with where he's at. Some of the things that pleased him most, he's trying to get rid of that hitch on the run, so that wobbling uh, yeah. that, he, that he does, and he was really pleased with that. So overall, he was he was wrapped with how he raced. He's, he said he's, he's still got plenty of work to do, but he was really pleased, got everything out he wanted out of the day. But Cody Beal's race was amazing. 7.58 on that course. Is too, too, too hard, too close to Kerner? Um, possibly, yeah. Time where where, where would you pick him in Kona? Uh, Cody Beals or Sanders? Beals. Beals. Um, if he can race like that, he's going to be very competitive. But uh, it's totally different when you go and race in the heat to racing elsewhere. So that's a you know that's a top ten, if not a top five performance. But yeah, as you said, turning that around in two months' time, who knows? I think Lionel Sanders will be better than that in Kona. Um, so we'll see how he goes. Equally, you're not going to talk him into contention, but are you? Like you know, last year when we were there, it's like. You know, if he, he, he's a contender. He could take this thing. If, uh, if it goes well, you're probably not going to put the money on him this year, right? I wouldn't put him on winning it. No. But I'd put money on him being in the top five, if not top three. Okay. Uh, equally impressive was Carrie Lester 
killing it in the females race with an 848 course record uh, she's one of the most underrated athletes out there she has had top 10s in Kona she's had she won uh, Ironman France this year she's been 842 in Rote uh, finished as high as, as I said seventh in Kona so she's underrated and she absolutely nailed it 51 minute swim 448 on the bike and 303 on the run for an 848 again on that course that is a bloody impressive time so good on her Sarah, Sarah True got the job done finishing in second place so she gets a Kona slot because Carrie Lester already had one yep. uh, and again you, you, her run time was pr- was slow for her you know on Torsten's ratings it's in red so 304 for her is not uh, amazingly fast uh, and she was a long way back. She's 16 minutes back from Carrie Lester. Uh, she did look, you know, pretty fatigued when she crossed the finish line. It's not like she jogged it in. Um, so again, we'll see how she goes and uh, goes in Kona. But uh, she's got the ticket, which is what she was after. So we go over to Ironman Copenhagen, and God, what a performance here! And Haig, she's got her ticket. She's been a journey to get there. But I tell you what, when you pull off an 8:31, uh, one of the fastest times ever, set new course records on the both the bike and the run. Uh, the, uh, the the only other people who have gone faster than this, are Chrissy Wellington, uh, twice in Roth, and Danielle Reef in Rote and in Kona, and Lucy Charles once in Rote. So this was a dojo domination. Very fast times. Very fast conditions. Age groupers went fast as well, but she swam 51, biked 4.37, ran a 2.57 for an 8.31, and she didn't look like she was under the pump at the finish. She was fresh. She is a weapon. She finished third in Kona last year. Uh, So... you know, if she's biking that well, you know, the key thing for her is how well she can bike in Kona. She, she's, you know, Rennie's standard on the run. Would not be surprised if she gets close to Rennie's record uh, in Kona. She's small, handles the heat well, look out for her. Can you, can you pick her for a win? Um, well, you couldn't put anybody past um, Reef, Daniela Reef. Reef's so good. if anybody falters, and if she's within 10 minutes of anybody coming off the bike... I'd be putting money on her. Okay, uh, we also had Ironman Sweden and good old Boris Stein. Another fast, geez, we're getting some fast racing, aren't we? And I question mark this result initially because I look at the results. Uh, Boris Stein, 49 minute swim, 4.03 on the bike. Uh, good old and, t- and when you look at everyone else, the, you know, everyone else is from 4.11 up. And he said, uh, good old Torsten said, it's one of the fastest bike times ever. Uh, I think Starkowitz. Uh, let me see. He did one oh. Uh, I think Starkwitz has a faster bike time. Again, you're comparing, not comparing yep. apples with apples. So the thought, bloody hell, man! Uh, you know, you've got seven guys go sub eight, and of those, half of them I've never heard of before. Yeah. So I thought. Mm, Maybe there's a question mark about the distance of this race. Uh, so de- second place, Jenny Chevron. I, I looked up him on Strava, looked at his bike file. I think it was 179.1. Oh, that's acceptable. That's acceptable. Yep. And the run was 42.2. Too long. I uh, know oh, 2.2, you know. Well, no, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was 42.24, something oh, like that. Long. So I'm thinking, Jesus, that makes that impressive. 4.03. So Boris Stein's a quality athlete. He's had top 10s in Kona before. He's won plenty of races but that is a statement. If he can do anything close to that, the the bike pace is going to be on in Kona. So he was first in uh, 7.49. Denny Chevron was second in 7.51. And Matthias uh, Pedersen was third in 7.52. Just insanely fast racing. It was a pretty awesome weekend. 
So, then we go to the Ironman Kona qualifiers, and now we know who's going to be racing in Ironman Kona 2019 World Championships. Um, probably more the question is surprises who aren't there. I've, I've scanned through, and I can't, uh, and I haven't looked at this in detail, uh, but I don't think there's anybody there. Well, we've got the ones who declined their slots. So, Lucy Gossage, Teresa Adams, Julia Geiger, you know, some of the, Heather Wirtle's not there. Yeah. But these, these people decided not to be there, which is, um, and then in the men's, he doesn't have the list of the men's who didn't deserve it. I, I think there's only one on there. There was one name on that list there. Uh, let's see if I can remember who it was. I can't off the top of my head. There was one name on that list. What Probably one, one thing that is quite surprising for me is when I look down the list of names, Torsten's got another list that Bevan's not looking at now, but there's a lot of people that haven't raced here when I look down the females list. Um, I'm just going to guesstimate saying, I'd say a third of them have got uh, previous Kona results, none. Uh, so uh, less so on the men, but there's still a lot in there um, that have got none next to their names. So, so this year we have 44 females, and 57 males. Mm. Should be 50-50, but mm. it's not 50 and 35, is it? No, no, there's, it's, it's, a, it's close to slip. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I, Torsten, let us know if there's anybody on that. Well, Torsten's try rating will be coming out soon, but from what I can see, there's no, there's nobody that's um, really missed out. Actually, before, okay. There yeah. might be. If there is, let us know. No obvious ones. No. No, no, we're like, oh my God, they're not there. I saw Frederick Van Leer had a cross through his name the other day, that, so maybe he's pulled out of racing Kona. Okay. Uh, other news, John, it's that time of year when we get to the Ironman Hall of Fame inductees, and this year we've got Tim DeBoom, McKaylee Jones, Kenneth Gasquet, and Jane War. So I don't know much, obviously I know Tim DeBoom, he's a two-time winner. Yep. Kaylee Jones won it once. Um, but these other people are contributors, so tell us, do you know much about these? Two? I do not. About Ke- uh, from the press release, Kenneth Gasquet is a four-time Ironman World Championship finisher and the founder of the incredibly popular Ironman Lanzarote. So, okay. you know, as a race director, I think that's more noteworthy than his finish- finishes in, in Kona. Yep. Um, but awesome, that's a, that's a, that is one of the original races, so good Iconic. on Iconic, yep. Uh, and then Jan War is one of the leading foundation members of the Ironman Ohana. Uh, War has been an an Ironman volunteer for nearly 40 years and has been swim director for the Ironman World Championships for 32 years. Totally agree with those sort of inductees. Mm. Yeah, oh, totally. Mm. Important for the sport. Okay, big news, John. We've got 70.3 World Champs coming up. It's the next big race that's happening on... What date is it? Uh, it's coming up in September, so a few weeks away. We'll talk about that. Uh, well, no, but I've got the list. Did you get the list this morning? We've got the list. The only notable... Jan Fredino's not on it. Not on the list. When I Because I looked last week on his... Race announcements um, from the you know what races he was going to do this year, and that was originally on his list of races. So whether he's just going full hog into Kona, uh, I saw her. I think I saw him racing at the weekend, and this was quite entertaining. Somebody posted on Facebook. It's this. I what think kind it's of race like, was he doing? It's, it's it's just an iconic sort of German race. Okay. Uh, he probably Sausage won it by twenty minutes or something. Yep. But there's this really nasty hill in it, a cross country hill where you run up this dirt path. It's a proper walking hill. And he was running up it, pushing the lead cyclist mountain bike for him. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he probably had a fairly healthy lead. It's cold. Yeah, so good on him. I think it's one of those races he likes to do. I don't it's know if he does every year. Yeah. But he's, he's racing 70.3s. He did one fairly recently, so he's still racing. I kind of think it's maybe a sensible decision going, I'm 100% in for Kona this year. I've proved my point last year. Yeah. He won a 70.3 title against the best. I'm sure he would love to race Nice. It's going to be an iconic race. It's a pity. Yeah, it is a pity. It's a real pity because last year's race was probably the race of the year last year, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That 70.3 men's race. 
was the race that we'll be talking about for years to come. Yeah. And, and man, he axed it, but the cost was obviously too huge for him. Mm. Um, and so he's decided, fair enough, but it's a pity for us fans. It is. Because, but yeah, other than that, it's pretty typical names in both fields. Any females on it that you're kind of surprised aren't there? Uh, I haven't looked at it in detail, but you know, you've got Danielle Reef in there, you've got Lucy Charles in there. I don't think Miranda's name's on there. No, you wouldn't expect her to be a contender though yeah. at 70.3. So... Yeah, no, we'll maybe discuss that in a bit more detail as we get closer. Okay, so that's the big news on the 70.3 World Champs. John, we've got any other races coming up? We've got the Natman in Germany. We've got the Triathlon in Estonia, and funnily enough, in Estonia. The <laughs> Gelderman in Arnheim in the Netherlands. And then we also have... Bevan, we've also got Ironman Vici, which is a age group only race. Okay, John, let's talk about this week's discussion. So the discussion of the week was... Oh, sorry, I've got to do one more thing because Craig Kirkwood did send me a message. Last week I did say no Kiwi's going to get on the podium in the test event and happy to say I'm wrong, got it wrong and happy that I got it wrong because Hayden Wild kicked ass. Yep, you got it wrong, John. You're meant to be the expert. You need to get everything right on triathlon. Okay, so last week's discussion, and I'm just pulling it up here right now, John Bo, last week's discussion was what would you change about I2U Racing, and we got some good, dis- good discussion around this. So let's have a bit of you. Uh, Aaron McLeod, jeez, Aaron, you got a pretty long name here. Aaron McLeod diced bales. Bless him, McCartney's heart, uh, but I don't think she's the right gig for her. Was was it Lucy Charles doing the test event? Yes, it was, and I did think she was pretty good as well. Uh, I'd love to get Ali Brownlee on the mic. Uh, when he does Super League, it's twice as good to watch. He's outstanding. I'm going to comment on some of these. So I I think Emma Carney's pretty reasonable, but I think the, the mix in the commentary box isn't right. I thought Lucy Hall at the weekend for the ITU stuff, uh, the test event, she was fantastic, gave some really good insight. But again, it still wasn't the right mix. You didn't have that excitement factor in there. And Ali Brownlee, I agree, is awesome. He is awesome, isn't he, on the Super League stuff. Mm. And the guy they get to do Super League is great as well, isn't he? They've got a great team on Super League, haven't they? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, Stephen Teeling Lynch has got bias course design and course design on a few ITU courses need attention. It can't just come down to the fastest runner. I'm going to comment on that as well. I think uh, a bit of a mix, wouldn't you? Uh, no, they, I believe that they do the best they have with the, what's presented in front of them in terms of the course design. So Tokyo, the athletes were saying the course was fantastic, it was tight, it's a flat course. There's only so much you can do with a flat course. At other races, yeah, from what I, whenever I can see it, I think they've done the best with the venue that they've got. Rich, Rich Walker, oh, you go, you go. Rich Walker, uh, as Super League have done, shorter but multi swim bike run races takes it takes it from the best runner to the best triathlete. Also, rejig the calendar, more races but group flyaways to avoid jet lag. So what he means there is. These days, the races are all over the all over the shop, and you have got to do a, you get some good frequent flyer points. Simplify the points too. I agree with this. Nine years I've been doing a, uh, age group competing. I still don't really understand the points. What do you get for fifth place? Because you have this point system, you know. So and so's got five thousand six hundred and fifty points, and the next one's got four thousand two hundred twenty-one. It's like, I don't know. Just give them a hundred points for first, and yeah, or. Or one for first. Just so it's yeah, easy yeah. to follow. Yeah. Uh, Tom Morwood's Mor- uh, got scrap Olympic racing altogether, basically. Endurance format, heats final over the weekend, cross try, exterior events as a part of the series, more technical bike courses. Some are just loops with a few hundred eighties on the way. The, commun- uh, the commentators talk about them. So many corners. You'd think they're on a roller coaster when really they're just simple flat rides with a few turns. I'd dispute that. <laughs> uh, I enjoy the series concept, though. Uh, the points for the grand final need to be a lot more than double for the grand final and it to have a real impact. They're not yeah. even double, Tom. Um, the 
they, I'm pretty sure it's only one and a half points. Yeah, it doesn't need more. The mm-hmm. final needs to be more significant, doesn't it? GPS live timing on the bikes and run would be good too. Uh, that might be expensive. Uh, yeah, live pacing on the screen as well. I reckon that GPS stuff is... Can't be far not, away. Yeah, it can't be that hard. Yeah. Um, just a couple other points to you. I think the the final, the series finale is one and a half points. You do have to race the series final. It does have to count for your points, so you can't drop that one if you have a shit race. Yeah, because you can drop how many races too. Uh, it's not so much how many you can drop. It's more your best how many you've got to do. Okay. Um, and I don't know that off the top of my head. Uh, what else have we got here? Brian Lafeur, uh tougher bike courses, hands down. How amazing was Kitzbühel? So that was the uphill time trial they did. No, it wasn't a time trial. It was just an uphill race. It was a few years race. ago. They did it once, didn't they? Yeah. I would love one. to see the athletes struggle a bit rather than hammer mostly on fat Although fat I have road. to say it wasn't that exciting to watch. No, it was impressive. It, was, it wasn't yeah. exciting. Yeah, it wasn't exciting. Uh, Richard Swan's got the swim is a snore fest. Who doesn't fast forward through that? Do you fast forward through it, John? I do. Um, so that's a production issue. You can't avoid that. That's a production. They've got to figure out how can we make this a bit more interesting in terms of inserting adverts. Not inserting adverts. Shit, that would make it boring as crap. Uh <laughs> Just inserting some com- some some interviews and things like that. You can't change the swim too well, much. Well, Brian Ashby has got Brian Ashby, good old Brian Ashby. Hey, Brian. Uh, Richard Swan, how about more sharks? They'll make it more yeah. interesting. <laughs> so. uh, good old Pod Paul O'Doherty. Uh, have a World Series uh, winner and have a single race that determines the world champion. Totally agree with that. And then a bunch of people have said get Macker involved to organise it. I think his concepts are good, but I don't think he'd be the right person to be organising. Oh, you gotta say he's doing it pretty well. John, your thoughts? Make uh, it the Super League. No, no, I don't think that. I think variety is uh, what we want. So you know, at the moment, it's an eight race series plus some relays mixed in the, uh, in there. I'd say you go for three sprints, three Olympics, and two Super Leagues. So then you know you you give. You have a variety of different racing. You get different winners. Uh, you'll have some races that will come down to running race. You'll have some, you know, in the Super League where you know the best all-round triathlete is going to win. Um, I definitely agree with having a World Championship as a standalone event. Uh, what still, distance would you do? Uh, then you do a classic Olympic um, for the World Championship. Uh, still make a big deal about the World Series, but have uh, have the World Champion as a one-day single race. And so that might change from year to year. One year you might have a flat race. This year in, in Lausanne you have a hilly race. Um, the, the, a lot of people comment about Super League, and one of the challenges you have there is the size of the field you can have in a Super League is really limited. Because uh, you have so many laps and stuff, it's not going to yeah, work. Yeah, and this, one of the challenges with with ITU is that you know it's Olympic stuff. It's got to be fair. You've got to have participation. You've got to have a, a pathway for athletes to get to the top. So I definitely think you could have smaller field sizes, but you probably couldn't go down to that sort of twenty or so that they have in Super League. Although but, you could have trials and finals. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's where you bring in heats and finals, and I think that. Yeah. That would that would work really really well. Also, in terms of the coverage, um, as said, you know the the bore, the swim is generally a bit of a bore fest, except sort of the start when they come out of the water. The middle part of the swim is not that exciting. Are there underwater cameras and and water where you can see. Yeah, there's not many places you could no. see too far. Yeah. But that, that's when you've got, I said that's a production issue. You know, you've got to start inserting interviews and the same would apply on the bike. You know, the bike can get boring at times. You still want to be seeing the footage, but have a little pop-up go in the corner and I'm sure... Well, that's, that's what Iron Man does all the time. It, yeah, I agree. So that, that that can be brought back in uh, and then you need to bring an excite, excitement person into the commentary box. Um, and then I think, and I don't know if they'd be able to bring this into live coverage, but onboard GoPros would be awesome on the bike bike and that would be wicked but I don't know if you could get live footage off those but for a, for a highlights package surely you could it must be like they're doing cars 
yeah, but then you've got aerials and things like that in cars. So you need to have a yeah, but not that I know that much. But I think you need to have a Short some sort of aerial. world that can make that work. Um, I did think the other thing about having stats in the coverage because you know, as you say, like sometimes in a swim, sometimes in a bike. There's not much interesting stuff happening. And you've got to wait till the end of the, the yeah, lap. But whereas if you can actually look at stats, you can say, Shifar, look at how much this guy's working right now. He's putting mm-hmm. a big effort because you can kind of see their power files. So you get an understanding of actually the effort people are putting in. And that, and that can be a story in itself. I agree. But they do that in the Tour de France and it's pretty shit. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's like, oh. Yeah, that was for like two seconds. Um, okay. And they pick somebody who's in the middle of the peloton going, he's riding at a heart rate of 130. It's like, well, it's not. <laughs> yeah. If it was a solo breakaway, yeah, I agree. They do do a bit of that with the, the speedo. You know, they they um, they go, right, the, the person in the breakaway is going 67 k's an hour. But I agree, more stats. They've got to fill just the, the boredom of just watching. <laughs> Bevan's bored of me talking, he's bloody yawning. Well, no, that's a problem. The boredom of watching. It's a problem for a sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's a problem for a lot of sports. Rugby can be boring when you're sitting there watching a bloody scrum reset five times in a row. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I like your ideas, actually. I like the idea of mixing it up and having different variety because then at yeah. the end of the year, if, on the point system at least, you're probably going to have the best athlete win, hmm. not just the best at one thing. And it forces those that are maybe really good Olympic athletes to go, shit, I've got to be good at Super League. Yeah, Someone like a Mario Mola, he didn't really do anything in Super League. If he wants to win the series... Got to sharpen up. Yeah, yeah, good times. Okay, so this week's question is: What rules would you like to see introduced in triathlon, and which ones should be scrapped? This is because of all the <laughs> drama we had at the weekend. Okay, John, let's talk about a sponsor: Extreme Endurance Galactic Puffer. And this comes into very nicely themed into we've been talking about the Olympic distance stuff, Olympics, etc., and uh, you know, drug enforcement with WADA and stuff around the Olympics is uh, it's big news. I've started reading this uh, Greg LeMond book, and uh, oh really, the shit that used to go on before uh, around that sort of eighties, seventies, and eighties. Does he admit to drugs? Uh, he admitted to this isn't an autobiography; it's about him. So, but he. he there was one bit where he said he had cocaine at a party when all the other cyclists were taking it. So I haven't got but to any part. But performance enhancing? I haven't got to that part, but it does not sound that way. Um, so Extreme Endurance is the first US sports nutrition company to use LGC, Sports Science Certification Program, called Informed Choice and Informed Sport. So almost all endurance, ex-endurance products are tested for banned substances and receive certification by both Informed Sport and Informed Choice. So um, they've been doing that. Uh, this company's been doing it since 2002 they've got a strong association with the IOC uh, it's all ISO certified so you guys can rest assured that you're taking a product that you know is not going to tip you over uh, any sort of uh, and have any ramifications because these days they test and they're testing age groupers we're seeing them getting tested we're seeing enough. positive tests yeah. in Kona and stuff as well so not only is it a fantastic product and we talk about that week on week about improving your performance improving your recovery from races um, but also you can feel safe uh, taking it I'm going to be doing a pretty good park run this week and I'm going to do the Canterbury 10k champs the weekend after and I'm sure as hell going to be taking my extreme endurance to make sure I bounce back from running races in particular so check it out xendurance.com okay check 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 it out now John we're going to interview with a guy called Matt or Matthew Buck I like the pianist and he is an Ironman winner an age group Ironman winner which I don't get often uh, but he's also working for UCAN and so we're going to talk about his athletic career but also a little bit what you can's doing and team 
they're actually jumping on board with us. So if you guys want to get a, a discount, a 15% discount off you can, you go to generationyoucan.com slash shop. Now there's also different links to different places around the world. So we've got the US is shop, then you've got generationyoucan.co.uk for Australia, Generation uh, Smart Performance Nutrition.ca for Canada and then superstarch.co.nz for New Zealand. And I'll put a link to all those different links in the show notes for today's show. But in any of those ones, if you go to the, um, the shopping area and the promo code is IMTALK for 15% off. So here's the interview with Matt and we'll talk a little bit about it afterwards. Sounds good. Okay, guys, uh, so today's interview is brought to you by UCAN. Um, we're going to tell you what UCAN is if you don't know. I've talked about it in the past and how I've used it. It's a super starch, a unique low glycemic complex carbohydrate that delivers steady, long-lasting energy. Uh, it sort of stops you having those spikes and crashes and keeps your blood sugar nice and uh, level. Uh, you're going to find out heaps more about it shortly, and we have got a promo code IMTALK that we're going to yes. tell you where you can go and save some money when you're purchasing your UCAN. Can. And we're going to interview a guy called today, Matt Bach, and uh, he is from the States. And the biggest thing about Matt is he is an Ironman champion from back in 2014. So not in the pro division. We know that uh, now these days we have the pro races and we have the age group only races. And I'm quite a big fan of the age group only races myself. I think there needs to be more of them um, for, for a number of reasons. So Matt, welcome along to the show. Thanks. I'm thrilled to be on here i've been a listener of you guys for many years and it's uh it's really awesome to to be on here as a guest so, so your ironman win was back in 2014 in maryland and not many people have won an ironman before so maybe tell us a bit about your story in terms of the lead up to that race you know where your, your athletic background and and how you got to, to being in a winning position yeah that day was just a magical dream day i uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about it when I get to that point in the story, but I guess I'll take it back, uh, get go to the background a little bit, like you said. Uh, so, I mean, I started out as a runner in high school. I had a great coach there, and uh, I ended up running um, D1 at Penn State for one semester and hated everything about it once I got to the college level. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, like, the coach himself uh, wasn't a fan of his training philosophies. They were stuck back in the 70s where they just pounded everybody on the team with the same you know, 80 to 100 miles a week and 10 by 1K and spikes on a field at, you know, th as hard as you can. And everybody just got completely obliterated. So there might have been 25 guys on the team or training with the team. And I think like, you know, 17 of them were either burnt out or injured by the time half the season was over. So mm -hmm. the other guy, but it didn't matter to him because the other guys got better and they, you know, they dealt well with the training, I guess. And it, maybe it was right for them because they were sort of some of the high level guys. And uh, they got better, so at least he had his seven guys or five guys to score for the cross-country season. But for me, it was I didn't really like the team, I didn't like the coach, I didn't like the training. My 5K PR went down about, uh, I started running on a minute and a half slower than my 5K PR. It oh, was wow. really terrible. So it wasn't working yeah. at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So I, I didn't like it so much so that I actually stopped running entirely for about two and a half years. And I came back to it only because I went back to my alma mater high school and was sort of volunteer assistant coaching with my uh, my coach there and you know was able to run with the team who every single year he's got an amazing team um, so I was able to train with the guys while I was sort of volunteer assistant coaching uh, and learning more more and more from that coach and really he set the foundation I didn't really know it at the time but he set the foundation for me in terms of being disciplined and knowing what it is to train and uh, and that really helped me throughout the rest of my career all the way up to this point and you know I'm sure for the rest of my life as well 
Um, so I got back into that, and then I started marathoning. Uh, in 2008, I did my first marathon at Baltimore. Um, then I went to uh, try in 2010 uh, because I wanted some variety in the training. Um, it was just monotonous, right? Running day in, day out. And if I got injured, then I couldn't do anything, or at least I didn't think I could. Um, so, but when, when I started training for try, it was like, okay, you know, I've got like, um, my Achilles is acting up. So now I can go, I'll just bike and swim a lot and, uh, you know, sort of different ways to work around it. Plus the training itself, just day in, day out was great. was great. So try in 2010. And then I did my, um, first half Ironman in 2011. I got linked up with some great, great, great group of guys in the Hoboken, Jersey City area, just outside of New York City, um, all sort of in the same stages of life. And they were all very dedicated guys. So we trained a lot together. And 2011, they were training for Ironman. I was just getting into the sport and I was training with them a lot. So I was sort of half prepared for an Ironman, but I decided to wait a year and do my first full in 2012. Uh, and really, I only went long because I noticed that the longer I went, the better I got relative to the competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did my first half in 2011. I did three of them that year. Then in 2012, I did Ironman Lake Placid. And it rang true. Like I, I noticed I had a knack for it. I, I ended up off the um, off the Kona slot by just one slot. I was uh, third in the race. I needed to be second uh, in my age group. And I broke 10 at Placid for my first time. So I was like, hey, you know. I could do this stuff. Mm. And then in 2013, I went back and in earnest, I was saying, okay, I want to qualify for Kona. And that's my goal. Um, I ended up missing it by one slot again. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't really go any faster. And that was my first bout with really overtraining um, because that year I was really just trying to go all in and do everything I possibly could to get more miles and more volume and more this and more that. I didn't realize that I was uh, sacrificing my quality of life just draining my mental ability to fight and be hungry in a, in a race, like, you know, not, not physically hungry for food, but hungry to win and hungry to beat people. Um, but then in 2013, um, when I missed that slot by one, I ended up reloading. It wasn't the original plan, but I reloaded and I went to Ironman Louisville four weeks later, um, ended up winning my age group there. Uh, it was on my wife's birthday. Hmm. so I had to really convince her that it would be okay for me to go race there. She didn't want to be in Louisville, Kentucky on her birthday watching me doing an Ironman. Yeah. Spectating is hard work. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and- uh, but I ended up qualifying, so I went to Kona seven weeks after that. So it was a good three uh, three Ironman events in 12 weeks. Did, wow. you, did you try to tie the honeymoon into the Kona going, hey, we should go to Kona and, and have a bit of a honeymoon, and by the way, while I'm there, I'll do this race? <laughs> no, I, I didn't go that far. It might not have worked out if I tried that. <laughs> so obviously, you know, you had you had really good success um, early on in your career, and then 2014, you know, what what prompted me um, to look into you a bit more was when you you sent me a message and I and looked at your profile picture and there was a picture of you winning a race and I thought bloody hell that looks like an Ironman. So who, who is this dude? Um, you know, going from being a, a you know Kona qualifier and, and as you said, you know, sub 10 and and placid is is not shabby, but then I'd imagine I can't, I can't remember if you went sub nine when you when you won the race. So, what sort of made the difference uh, in terms of your progression to 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 get to that point? And and, and feel free to comment on your, your Kona performance as well. I'm not sure how you did there. Yeah, not very well in Kona that year. Mm. <laughs> I did terrible in 2013 relative to what I what I knew I could do, and a lot of it was GI distress. Mm-hmm. I was having major major issues with my nutrition. I mean, on those first four Ironman events that I did, so that's Placid 2012, Placid Louisville Kona 2013. 
uh, I in two of those races I had major GI distress, and the GI distress is sort of the you know the the flip side of the coin of that is, is bonking. Mm. So I had issues with the GI distress, and then because my stomach was hurting, I didn't want any more sugar. I just looked at that gel that was like my eighth gel, and I'm like, hell no, I don't want this. I start throwing those aside, and then of course, 45 minutes later, I end up walking on the side of the street. I'm I'm bonking and I'm, I'm feeling terrible. So it, really, I had issues like that that were pretty major in Plaza 2013 and then Kona 2013. The other two races, I was able to do okay. I didn't really have too many performance detriments because of nutrition by um, because I was kind of walking that fine line between taking in enough and taking in too much. Um, but then finally, after those four races, you know, I still had some success, but I, I knew that my nutrition was holding me back. And how I mentioned before about the overtraining, that was the other piece. Um, so the two things that really contributed to the 2014 um, winning Ironman Maryland, and yeah, it was uh, it was sub nine. I ended up going 8:51. I had a 51 minute PR on the day. Nice. Was uh, nutrition and was coaching. Um, so I, I got a coach, and the coach helped me to uh, reel it in. Uh, his name is Earl Walton. Uh, he actually is now the global head of training and racing, or uh, sorry, global head of uh, training and. Uh, and coaching for Ironman. Nice. So kind of a, a big shot over there now. Uh, but he's uh, he really helped me to rein it in and like hold me back a bit um, so that I wasn't just overtraining myself. So it was between that and the fact that I started using UCAN and uh, started teaching my body how to burn fat better through uh, Bob Sibahar's metabolic efficiency training. Through those things, I was able to avoid entirely any GI distress and any bonking episodes at Ironman Maryland. I, had, I felt like I had nothing nutritionally holding me back whatsoever so finally my fitness was allowed to express itself in my racing so for did, the first time did that end up being was it a perfect race for you and and were you able to replicate it again you know often you know you talk to pros and you, they, they win races but you know did you actually perform to your you know your maximum capacity yeah it's funny I, I don't know if it was my perfect race it was a great race for sure but because I took the lead at around mile 15 or so and I knew I was going to win the race at mile five, even though I was nine minutes out of the lead. I, I was gaining so much ground, and I felt so amazing. And I, I knew my nutrition was going to hold up. That I, I just I knew I was going to win at that point. But at mile fifteen, because I I took the lead at that point, I really was just trying to like win the race, and not necessarily trying to hunt someone down or dig so deep into the well mm -hmm. to try to catch somebody or whatever. So I don't know if I, it was my perfect race, but it was a great one. Um, but as far as like replicating it, you know, the following year I ended up going to um, Eagle Man 70.3, again, down in Maryland on a uh, very similar course. And I was the top amateur there by over five minutes. Uh, no GI distress, no bonking again. And then in Kona 2015, uh, I uh, didn't have my perfect race by any means, but I was still um, second, 72nd overall. I uh, went 9.23. Mm -hmm. And on the, in that race, actually, I was using uh, purely UCAN, and it was uh, just 68 calories an hour. Uh, over the course of nine hours and 23 minutes. So it was really um, sort of testing the limits of how low I could go. And in that race, I actually did go too low and mm. didn't take in enough to feel what I was doing, um, given you know the high, higher level of intensity and the heat that, that is in Kona. What's it like to um, win a race? You know, like, because most people, uh, age groupers, aren't going to get that experience of winning an Ironman. Uh, just what was that experience like? Yeah, <laughs> it was absolutely magical. The finish line, I is like in tears giving my wife a hug never thought it would be me until literally the morning of the race when at the start line i didn't realize that iron man had made the move to to change uh you know some of their some of their races didn't wouldn't have pro fields anymore oh, wow. okay. and 
and Ironman Maryland was the first one. I, I didn't even know that they had put that change into place and that Ironman Maryland was the first one. And so I thought there would be pros there that day. And I didn't think beyond any, you know, any of my wildest dreams that I'd be winning the race if there was a whole big pro field and everything, or even if there was no pro field, I'd, I was like, no, that's, I'm not going to be the one to win this thing. I just want my Kona slot. Um, so the, when the announcer, uh, David Downey said on the day of the race at the swim start, he said, one of you age groupers will be an Ironman champion today. It came into my head very briefly that maybe that'll be me. And then I was like, no, 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 just push that out of your head. That's, that's silly thoughts. <laughs> and then when I was on the bike at mile 70, somebody yelled out and said, you're in 10th place at mile 70, like 10th place overall. And I was like, what really? And I saw, I mean, I saw probably like five or six of them right with me. We were sort of in a bunch. So not drafting of course, but <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. legally drafting. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so then I was like, okay, maybe just maybe. And then again, I was like, no, no, just push that out of your head. Don't think about that. But then, like I said, when I got off the bike, I was in 11th off the bike and the thir uh, third place guy was only like two minutes ahead of me. So really right there. And then second and first, I didn't know where they were until about mile three or five or so where people started yelling out um, how far back I was. And uh, they said at first I was nine minutes back and 14 minutes back. But then the next time I heard at mile five, they were only like seven miles and eight mi or seven minutes and eight minutes back. So I was gaining a good amount of time on the guys. And um, I was feeling like a million bucks and I was still holding back. So like I said before, that was kind of when I knew I'd win. And then just crossing the line itself was just awesome. Incredible. Nice. nice. So you, you talked a little bit about the year after and still having some, some really good, strong performances. Um, often people think, you know, this guy's won an age group race or somebody who's done very well in Kona, they'll, they'll um, flip the switch and, and try to go and race pros. So did you race pro at all? And if so, how did that pan out? Yeah, I never did. Um, I think I had maybe one or one or two different performances that were would have made me pro eligible so that I could take the pro card. But I only wanted to do it if I was really going to do it. Like I wanted to leave my day job and give a full stab at it. And I never really do anything half-assed or anything. So I wanted to just go whole hog, whole hog into it and see what I could do. Uh, ended up never making that that jump for several reasons. And you know, some of it was. Uh, I had an injury uh, at the time. I had some issues with uh, with hormones, with the overtraining issues, and then um, because and then I discovered I had some lower bone density, um, and I had an issue with my hip, uh, which well, actually wasn't my hip; it was my um, femoral neck, um, mm. where I had a stress reaction. So that all sort of happened, and then I also was working on Wall Street for nine years, and I left Wall Street and went back to business school, and I've had two kids in the last uh, two and a half years, and. Then seven months ago, I started full-time uh, working at UCAN, and so I've had kind of a whirlwind over the last three years, and between all that going on, I, I ended up not making the jump. Mm. You're, you're a broadcasting professional because you sort of segued into, into UCAN, so um, people have heard me talk about it before in the past, but can you maybe tell us the, the sort of the UCAN story, because some people will have heard this, but it's a, it's a pretty interesting story, so maybe tell us about that and also what UCAN actually is. Absolutely. So I love the UCAN story. The, the origin story is so kind of authentic and noble. Uh, it started out where, you know, UCAN was created based off of a complex carbohydrate called superstarch. And superstarch was only discovered because of these kids uh, who have a rare metabolic disorder uh, called glycogen storage disease. So our founder's son, Jonah, has this disease. And what it means for him is that he needs to be fed every two to three hours uh, you, the best way they could find of managing it was Argo cornstarch off the shelf. 
to keep his blood sugar stable. And it's a life-threatening disease. So if he's not fed and he doesn't keep his blood sugar stable, he could have seizures and he could die. And if that, uh, this is through the night too. So he need to be waking up. He would need to be waking up or woken up um, or, and his parents would need to make sure that they woke up every two to three hours when he was really young and couldn't manage it on his own. Um, and so that was obviously very, very disruptive to their lives and his life and making it so that he couldn't really be a normal kid. Um, so the parents, uh, they started a foundation and they were able to fund some research. And what ultimately happened is some researchers in Scotland uh, discovered how to take, they, they tested all sorts of different carbohydrate uh, starting points like barley, tapioca, wheat. Uh, they ended up using cornstarch, non-GMO cornstarch, and through a 40-hour process, it's just a heating process, using just heat and water, they're able to elongate the molecule to create what is superstarch. And so what, you know, what really sets this company apart is superstarch because it's something that is truly different. And it, there's no placebo effect here because superstarch was now used on Jonah, um, and he can sleep through the night on essentially the equivalent of two to three servings of superstarch. Um, he can sleep eight hours straight. Mm. So his parents no longer have to worry uh, and set multiple alarms and wake up all the all the time throughout the night, and he can live a more normal life. Um, and now, you know, after that was created, they said, okay, you know, now that, now that we have this this breakthrough in carbohydrate technology. Who else would want long-lasting energy, stable blood sugar? You know, maybe endurance athletes would want that. Um, so they ended up uh, our our founders. They went to Bob Sibohar, um, and they went to uh, Mebka Flesky uh, through their connections there, and had uh, Bob tested on himself. Um, well, he he offered to test it on himself. He said, "Hey, if you know if this stuff is living up to half of what you claim, then this stuff's awesome." So let me try some of it. He tried it on himself. He tried it on his athletes. Uh, Meb Kofleski started using it right around that time. This is around 2008, 2009. And they were all noticing just uh, you know, in, in, incredible benefits from it, um, both from like that steady energy standpoint and from the, um, the standpoint of uh, enhanced recovery, uh, especially for Meb, uh, better body composition. Um, so they were able to kind of validate it for us in the athletic space in the endurance arena. And that's kind of where you can came from. Uh, so this, the, you can became a company officially. And I think it was around 2012 or so, um, sort of as it is, as you know it now. <clears throat> um, so guys, if you, you, you heard Matt mention, uh, Bob Sibaha, uh, just a moment ago, if you go back to our archives, um, I think we, we, times, we've had we? either yeah. two or three times and he has, um, brought up, you can a number of times and, and also you heard Matt talk about metabolic efficiency and we've talked about Bob. So, uh, we, we talked about metabolic efficiency with Bob. So, if you want to delve into that in more detail, just uh, search them up on our blog and you'll be able to find interviews with Bob. Um, really good stuff. So a lot of our listeners um, are dabbling or are fully headfirst into low-carb, high-fat um, and or you know, metabolic efficiency with their you know, nutrition and, and balancing that around training. So maybe explain how this you, know, um, you can fits in with the sort of low-carb, high-fat or metabolic efficiency training. Yeah, great question. There's so many different parallels between low carb, high fat, or you know, people who are uh, fat adapted. Um, and actually, you know, be- before I go on on that, uh, there's uh, I'll be in Kona this year. Um, nice. I think you guys are uh, not going this year, but yeah, you'll be there next year, right? Yeah, yeah, Correct. Yeah. 
Great. So I'll be there this year. And with uh, Debbie Potts and Dr. Paul Larson, we're uh, putting on an event. It's a fat adapted meetup. So anybody who's curious about fat adaptation uh, or are currently fat adapted and they want to meet up with other people kind of like minded um, Wednesday, four to 6 p.m. at the old Bubba Gump's location will be there. So I'll provide the like link with some uh, information to you guys so that you can put it in the show notes or whatever. But as far as how you can fits in with, um, you know, low carb, high fat or, or more fat adapted approach. They sh- there's a lot of parallels between the, meth- the philosophies. So one of the philosophies of low-carb, high-fat, uh, or let's say fat adaptation generally, uh, is that you want to keep steady blood sugar so that you can keep insulin levels muted so that it allows your body to tap into its fat stores as energy. Um, UCAN does that. Uh, so if there's charts that you'll probably see in much of our, you know, on our website and in all of our, you know, a lot of our marketing materials that shows how blood sugar stays very stable relative to something like maltodextrin or simple sugars where it spikes and then crashes. And by, because it does that, the insulin response is very low. And whenever there's insulin present in the body, it's fairly sensitive to it. Uh, it shuts off your fat burning ability. So if you have something like you can before your workout, you're going to keep stable blood sugar, stable insulin, stay in fat burning mode so that you don't rely on carbohydrates purely. You're relying much more on your fat stores, which are basically unlimited. I mean, you have tens of thousands of calories of fat in your body that if you can tap into that effectively, then uh, it's it's a benefit because you can spare your 2000 or so calories of glycogen or carbohydrates in your body. Mm, nice. In, in terms of practical usage, um, so I've, I've used UCAN before more in a, in a supplementary manner uh, and, and totally get what you're saying about, you know, stabilizing that blood blood sugar and you just, you don't feel quite as on, on edge. And, and I've only, as I said, I've only used it as a supplementary um, sort of nutrition. So maybe, um, you know, in your experience, you know how athletes how do athletes tend to to use a product when it comes to to racing? You know, you said you were on UCAN all day long for your Ironman races. What sort of experience and feedback have you had from athletes, um, either going full hog or or you know sort of half hog like I've done? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, it runs the gamut, and I think it's partly because nutrition is very personal. You kind of have to find what works for you. And I know a lot of people who use UCAN purely because that's how they feel best. And I also know a lot of people uh, who use UCAN with other things as well. Um, so at, um, you'll, I think what most people will find is that if they're training at lower intensities, UCAN by itself tends to be great and you don't feel like you need anything else. If you're racing at higher intensities, you might want to have UCAN be your, uh, your base of nutrition. So maybe it represents something like 50 or 70% of your nutrition. Uh, or maybe it's even just a preload, but then during your race, if it's, let's say it's just a two hour race, like a bike race or something, uh, you, you'll have, uh, some sort of like high glycemic, uh, maybe it's a gel, maybe it's flat Coke or whatever it might be, uh, during your race, then you might find that you perform better on that. Um, so a lot of people like, uh, well, let's say, uh, so Tim O'Donnell, uh, Tim is new to the UCAN family. Uh, he's been using it for about three or four months now. He's been having a lot of success with it in his training, and he just raced um, Ironman Boulder, got his Kona slot, just was second at Ironman Santa Rosa 70.3. Um, he's having a, a hell of a training block, so uh, I'm excited to see what he can do later this year. Um, but the way that he uses it in his training, he uses it very much. Um, UCAN is, is a very large percentage of what he's taking during his training. And then during his simulation days and during his racing, he preloads with UCAN, he has it uh, for post-workout or post-race recovery. And then during the race, it represents probably more like uh, 50% or so, maybe not even, um, mm-hmm. of UCAN, just sort of as a base uh, during. 
And then he has high glycemic uh, in addition to that. So that's just like kind of an example of what he would have during like a 70.3. Nice. Um, what about in terms of storage on race day? Because, you know, whether people use UCAM, whether they use other products or not, if you're not using on-course um, products, nutrition, it's a challenge to try to think through how you're going to do it. Um, and UCAM, the consistency of UCAM is a bit different to, you know, it's not a standard sports drink. It's not just like sugar and goes in and you can mix it really easy. It's a bit more, I don't know, maybe a bit more smoothie-like. I'm not sure if that's the right word or not. So how, yeah. how, how have you um, managed it on race day in terms of taking all your nutrition uh, in one go or have you picked up bottles on the way? Mm-hmm. Um, so because you have, during Ironman races anyway, you have um, special needs, you do have the option of picking up extra bottles. But for me, I typically place them there as backup because what I have on the bike is actually all I'll need for the race. So most people will find that a little bit goes a long way with UCAN. You can have fewer calories. So one thing I didn't highlight before about my performances in those first four Ironmans versus my UCAN days um, is that I would be targeting something like 300 calories an hour of sugary stuff in those first four Ironmans, and I would only be hitting about 230 calories an hour because I'd be having those bonking and GI distress issues, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, post UCAN, I was having something around 100 calories an hour. So at Ironman Maryland, felt awesome the whole race, 94 calories an hour. Kona 2015, 68 calories an hour. Like I said, that was probably a bit on the low side. Um, but you'll find a little bit goes a long way. So the way that I race an Ironman is I have a full meal when I wake up several hours before the cannon goes off. 45 minutes before the race, I have two servings of UCAN. Then on the bike, I have two bottles of UCAN. Mm-hmm. And, and each one of them has about four servings of UCAN in it. And... So I'm packing it, right? So it's very uh, very concentrated. I've heard people go as high as something like seven servings in one bottle. Mm. Um, it becomes very thick, like a, th- even thicker than a shake. It almost becomes a gel at that point. Yeah. Mine are four servings, so it's still more like a shake, but pretty thick. Um, and then once I get to the um, run, I have a gel flask with one serving of UCAN in it that I take out of T2 with me. And that's with um, one serving mixed with about three ounces of water, three or four ounces. So it's pretty, it's all, again, that's pretty thick and it's almost like a gel. And then I drink that uh, right around mile two or three once I just get settled into the run. And that's the last I take of UCAN on the day because the second half of the race, I find that the risk of GI distress is really low. I don't really need to tap into fat stores. I don't really need to have that steady energy necessarily anymore. And also at that point of the race, you just want some damn sugar mm. and caffeine. Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> give me <laughs> hurt. Yeah. Give me, give me all the, all the, the sugary whatever. I just want to, you know, get me to that finish line. <laughs> and and what about? And to, I think one thing that, um, irrespective of what you're drinking again on the bike, if anything gets warm, uh, the taste is is not mm. great. You know, whether that be, you know, taking in warm Gatorade or whether it be warm UCAN. So, I mean, is your solution there generally just to use insulated bottles? Insulated bottles help, but only so much. Uh, when you get to something like Kona yeah. or many of the races that many of us do, I mean, it's like you know, 80s and 90s, and sometimes more when you're <laughs> on the tail end of the bike and when you're uh, going into the run. So yeah, it's definitely not. Um, it's definitely not as good. I mean, we're tr- crazy triathletes, right? So we'll still drink that warm Gatorade. We'll drink drink that warm you can if it's going to make us perform better, but it's not ideal. So the way that uh, many people have addressed it is by freezing their you can bottles the night before. So I always recommend mixing it up the night before and throwing it in the fridge because the, the consistency is better uh, when you're on it using it the next day, whether it's for a race or a workout uh, or just yes, preloading for a workout even. Um, but 
when you freeze it the night before and you got to play with this in your training because <laughs> you don't want a frozen <laughs> bottle at the start of the bike ride. <laughs> you don't want it to be a 50 degree day and it's still frozen when you get to it. So if it's like a 90 degree day, you're probably going to find that it's, uh, it's now a nice solution and it's still kind of cold, but, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the best thing, best way that people have found to, to deal with that is by having it, um, having it be uh, frozen the night before. And then as far as like getting in enough, right? Like most people aren't finishing Ironmans in nine hours. So if you're out there for longer, you may need special needs um, bag uh, bottles. Yeah. So in your bike special needs, stash two more bottles if you can in there uh, with say four servings of each uh, in each one, or maybe it's three servings in each one because you'd like to have it be a little bit more dilute and not as um, as thick and uh, thick and, you know, it's almost starchy or chalky because it is a starch. What um, kind of mistakes are you seeing athletes making when they come from the high carb, you know, kind of way of doing things on race day when they go to this kind of nutrition plan? Yeah, for, for most people, the transition from the sugary stuff to you can, because it is so different, there is some transition there. But for most people, it's really not too bad. Uh, maybe it's a week or two or like a handful of uh, workouts where then they start feeling like, okay, I'm firing all, on all cylinders now using you can. Um, some people don't even notice the transition. Uh, there isn't really one. But some people who are on a very, very, I, th I think there seems to be a higher correlation with those who are on a very high sugar, high carb intake, and then they start using UCAN, uh, they might notice the transition is a bit longer. So it might be two to three weeks. It might be several workouts where they, they notice that um, their energy doesn't feel, uh, they don't feel quite as strong or quite as energetic um, at first. But it, it gets better. And it's, uh, and then after three, two, three weeks, like I said, for, for just, about, you know, just about everybody, it seems to be um, doing great at that point. And the one product I haven't tried yet, I see you've got some bars now. Mm-hmm. Tell us about those. Yeah, the bars are great. Uh, so the peanut butter, chocolate peanut butter bars and the chocolate bars are absolutely delicious, and I have them sometimes as snacks just, you know, helping me get through my work day. Uh, the cinnamon bars and the coffee bars are great as well. They do not have a chocolate coating on them like the chocolate and the chocolate peanut butter bars do, and mm. so you can take them out on the bike. Mm. So the cinnamon bars I like better. I'm just not a coffee guy, so I think they taste terrible, but people love them. Mm. Um, the cinnamon bars I take out on the bike and they don't have a chocolate coating, so they do really well in the heat. In fact, they do better in the heat because they soften up and they taste more like, uh, kind of like a cinnamon roll. And I want to overpromise here, but <laughs> they taste a lot, a lot better. Nice. Now we've got three, uh, three regular questions that we ask, um, people we have on the show. Uh, do you wax or shave your legs? Or do you oh, keep I, it real? Uh, people wax their legs? Oh yeah, John does. Like, John does because he's oh, a no. beer. It seems like I'm the only person in the world that does this. A male. <laughs> I definitely shave. And do you use facial moisturizer? No. No. Oh, Is that welcome that to my enhancing? world? You've got you've got one. Yeah, it's good. No, that's good. And in your open marathon, because you're a runner too. So what do you do your fastest marathon in? Uh, I ran the Philadelphia Marathon at 2:42. And was it, do you think if you had like uh, if you're at your prime and you did say six to nine months of focused training, would you be any quicker than that, or is that as good as it gets? Uh, I mean, this is you know, would you know, possible stuff. It's all speculation, but I, I think I probably could have run around two thirty six ish, mm -hmm. um, right around six minute pace, maybe sl you know, slightly under that uh, if I was in top top shape. I happen to have a I fractured my ribs about nine weeks before the two forty two in Philly. And I had three weeks of no training, and then I had three weeks of very, very small amounts of training, and then three weeks of actual good training, but that was right before the race. So I feel like that 242 was very, very good, very, very strong A-plus execution given my fitness on the day. Uh, but as far as it being like the best I could possibly do, I think it was, it was a, you know, several minutes off of, off of that. 
Fantastic. So, guys, if you want to, again, the two forty two is the only one that's actually been done. So, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> I can't bring about to speculate. A nine, a nine hour sub nine hour Ironman looks easy on paper for some people, but it's uh, it's not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> um, so, guys, if you want to get your hands on some, you can. Um, as we said, we've got a promo code for anybody who's in the states. You can go to generationucan.com and use it there. Australia generationucan.com youcan.com.au you're in Canada smartperformancenutrition.ca and if you're in New Zealand superstarch.co.nz uh, it's also available on Amazon um, obviously the promo code doesn't work on there but use the promo code IAMTALK on all those other websites and we'll have them on uh, show notes as well so you can check it out uh, so fantastic I'm, um, I'm looking forward to trialling this in a bit more detail as I said I've had really good success um, with what, how I've used it previously as a supplementary fashion but I'm going to be playing around with in more detail so I'll give you guys more feedback as that happens so Matt awesome thanks for your time loved it loved hearing from Ironman winners Um, and I think you've given us all a good bit of insight on some different methods for fueling so thanks for your time thank you so much for having me on Jombo your thoughts it's great stuff I've tried it before and I'm going to try it uh, more now as well so I think especially for you athletes out there that are trying low carb high fat um, this this sort of dovetails into it really really nicely some low carb high fat athletes still go um, you know really high carbohydrate concentration on the day uh, also you know if you've had gastric problems in races before this is another solution for you to try as well so yeah it opens up plenty of options so give it a try get your promo code out and uh, give it a crack okay good times and one thing uh, yeah so <clears throat> you, you've heard the different websites make sure you use the promo code gets you a discount and uh, good to go okay John we're going to put an interview on with uh, Epic Camp one of our Epic Camp interviews it is Terry a dirty little secret BSRD here he is right now Okay, so uh, we're all getting a little tired on Epic Camp, but we're going to push on and do as many interviews as we can. We're actually almost officially complete. We've got one round to go, which is going to be a quiz round uh, on the final day. So we've had a triathlon. We had some stupid strength exercises that my next interviewee did very well at with... uh, it's some interesting technique at times, apparently, <laughs> although I wasn't, didn't see too much of it. Uh, so we, what did we do? We did a 400 IM this morning, um, which was entertaining. We did a 200-meter kick race. Then we did our triathlon. We came back. We did a uh, plank competition. Um, we did a press-up competition. And then we did a wall sit. So that's when you're sitting against the wall with your, um, your knees sort of at 90 degrees. And it was the most pathetic display of wall sitting I've ever seen by all included uh, and myself included as well Uh, we literally some people lasted less than 20 seconds Uh, I don't think anybody lasted probably a minute or much more than that it was pretty woeful Um, but anyway um, one fellow who you guys have heard his name probably mentioned on the show before is the dirty little secret uh, Terry Bessardi so welcome along to the show Terry um, tell us why you signed up for the camp um, so the camp has really been on my radar ever, ever since really I've, I listened to the show um, since the first few epic camps um, and this is really something I've I'd always wanted to do and in, as part of my journey in triathlon having started with sprints and then signed up for Ironman and everything and then yeah just um, did Roth the camp in Roth two years ago and really the next step for me was to to join an epic camp and i was finally ready um to to complete something like this 
and that's uh, and, and moreover the camp was in the Pyrenees and actually my family is originally from the Pyrenees so I was not gonna let that pass so it's been it was been just amazing so uh, it's a long time back to like day one and day two which were, were pretty brutal days try to try to rewind your mind to, to what was sort of going through inside your head after day one and day two we've done some monstrous climbs and we're all pretty smoked uh, what were you sort of thinking at that stage of the camp um so I was coming in good form in the camp with especially a lot of work on the bike as as you had told us it's going to be quite heavy on the bike but somehow on day one or two I just couldn't get the power going and obviously we have these KOMs based on percentages of FTP and it seems that everybody was just going great and I was I couldn't get any power and I was quite disappointed with myself so it was hard but you know what I've learned is that basically you know, you get your low points or it doesn't go as you plan, but you just keep on going and then again and again get some food and whatever and then you just somehow it comes along really well at some point in the camp and I think we've had all of us had low lights, highlights, um felt great at some part of the day and, you know, really bad at some others. Um but yeah, and the f- the first couple of days were were quite intense especially on 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 the bike uh, but just amazing you know the tourmalet obisque persourde um just classic climbs um it's just a privilege really to to be riding those and we had great weather so no it's it's and even even though i didn't feel great i, I still really enjoyed it and you know long long days but just f- phenomenal phenomenal you, you were saying before the camp, oh, we should do an epic camp in Switzerland. You said, you said the riding's amazing, and I, and I know it is. Um, but I think you've probably been blown away a bit by the quality of the riding we've done through the Pyrenees in terms of the roads and uh, the climbs. And, you know, thinking back to yesterday, which was our final sort of big day through the mountains, um, was it better than you expected in terms of the, the quality of the roads, quality of the climbing, and so on? Um, yeah, it's actually my the first time I'm... Um climbing in the Pyrenees I'm I'm used to the climbing in the Alps um it's it's really it's completely different you know the the scenery the uh, it's much more wild in a way um the the climbs are steeper uh it, it's it's uh, it's completely different and um but yeah it's 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 met my expectations I mean it was just I knew it was going to be hard and it was hard and it's exactly why what we came for and we got exactly what we signed up for <laughs> Um, if you if you could replay the week again, or you know, ten days or so, would you have played it out any differently, or, or would your preparation have been any different? I think I would have probably practiced my fly a bit more, because <laughs> um, hundred meter fly is you know for me it was more a twenty five meter fly and then a <laughs> hundred seventy five well seventy five of uh, just you know <laughs> underwater uh, fly anyway um no c- cycling wise yeah definitely i think on the on the first day i remember when we left biarritz you put a, a, a good tempo at the front well like good as in a you paced it very well and i was just thinking oh this is great you know i'm, I'm well in the you know <laughs> in, it, well in the peloton there and it's going fantastic and it's going to be uh, exactly how i you know it's gonna be great and then so a couple of guys, uh, so George and Seth, basically, just <laughs> as soon as you, 
you know went at the back these guys just hammered it and yeah i tried to take a turn and i absolutely cooked myself uh, thinking well i've got to keep that same pace so yeah that was not very smart and definitely lesson learned so the first day um yeah it just went a little bit too hard and um certainly paid for it and that's probably why i had basically a bad couple of days so i definitely learned and the thing is you know it you know when you race and everything you know it that when you go over your of your 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 zones that uh, you shouldn't go that hard but i don't know somehow we're in a group we're all probably trying to kind of gauge each other and just like looking at who's who's strong on the bike who's strong on this and that and actually you should just basically follow your own your own zones and your own pace and and that's it but um yeah no no it's, it's so so that's really what um happened for the couple first couple of days yeah um, in terms of what you learned mentally going through the camp, um, you, I know you were disappointed along with other people on the, the really rough weather day when you weren't able to complete that stage. It was only a couple of us that, that did, mainly because we had uh, really good weather choices and the, and the people that were able to carry on uh, were all people that have done Epic Camp before and all experienced uh, horrendous weather. Um, and to my record, I don't think, I know there has been one day where we all got in the van uh, because it was just diabolical. Um, but then the next day you went out and uh, rode 210 kilometres, um, almost all by yourself. Uh, why did you do that and, um, and how did you sort of occupy yourself when it was such a long day by yourself when, we're, when you're already in a very fatigued state? Um, yeah, so actually for me, my low point was Andorra basically the whole time in Andorra I just <laughs> everybody says it's like a bloody prison that place it is cool but there's no cell phone reception and we were staying at this place it was it was nice but it was like being on a cruise but it was just a bit a bit weird I, I think it's just that that guy playing the piano who just did my head in <laughs> in the in the bar um no it just it, it's like I said it's like a roller coaster of emotions and and form and I was definitely on the low point in Andorra. Um, pro- pro- actually, probably because I, I I dug really, really deep that one day in Sort in Spain. So that was my highlight, basically, because I, I did well at swimming, at the handicap swimming, did well at the running, uh, handicap running, and then the, um, the, on, on, the, on the climb, I did really well there. Uh, and just, I, I really... I had to dig really deep and push myself really hard and basically, you know, paid for it the next two days where I just felt horrible. Um, and yeah, so to, so Andorra, just the weather just went pretty horrible. From the We left and it was just raining a little bit in that first climb, which was beautiful, but it just started, you know, it was like being in a shower. Um, and it's starting to get colder and colder and colder. And that first descent, and we had thunderstorms really nearby. So it was a little bit dodgy, but okay, fine. We, we got through. That descent was just cold. And then you arrive at the bottom, you're, you're freezing. Um, and, you, and that's when we had that, you know, 20K KOM <laughs> up to the this big call in Andorra, which was, I think, 2,400 mm-hmm. meter elevation. And I mean, I was just, uh, there's actually, um, Pete took a little video of, of that climb at the end. It's just, <laughs> just nobody would, you'd never ride in those conditions really. Yeah. And uh, once I got to the, the top, it was, it was fine, but 
just so cold and I wanted to just go I went in a van because I didn't want to go go down um, and you know risk any accidents or something and and it's true that actually being from Switzerland I should be more prepared and I wasn't I just didn't have the right clothes and and so yeah but I didn't want to risk it so jumped in the van and that was it for me for the day basically I just never had the courage to to go out again because it was just raining the whole day so well done to all the guys who've managed to to push on I mean it's just incredible I just didn't want to get any any injuries or, or getting ill and ruin the whole camp um, and I still managed a good run in the afternoon after that but uh, and yeah in the next day basically for me I had a, a bit of a point to prove that I wanted to get a day with 210 uh, kilometers so that was the day we went to the med I thought okay I'll get a bit of a head start and um, yeah just um, did those 210 kilometers it was great on the way to the med because we had a tailwind so it was about averaging about 45 kilometers an hour which is great and then on the way back with the headwind that was pretty miserable sometimes we're just riding at 15 kilometers an hour but it was um, yeah no great I just soldiered on and didn't think much so it's just uh and i guess that's where you i gained a lot of mental strength is that you you can do it you know and and just pushing on and keep on going keep on going and i, I don't know how much i've eaten through the whole camp and even through these rides you just eat whatever you can and um wait a little bit and then you pick up form again and so yeah that's yeah. The, the the event that Terry was talking about, where he actually took out overall uh, honours, was a handicap. Let's see if I can say this right. Uh, a handicap elimination uh, broken triathlon. So we started out by doing a uh, a stretch of 500 meters, and every 500 meters somebody was eliminated. But it was started in handicap order. So the slowest person went first, and the fastest person went last. So it was basically a series of 500 meter running races, and you had to try to get to the front. And whoever was last, a bit like the Super League, you may have seen on TV when they have eliminators there. Whoever was last at the end of that 500 metres they were out and so it whittled down to uh, I think he got third, third in the run um, and that was taken out by David Locke from Australia and then next up we did the same sort of thing in the pool um, but this time it was 100 metres at a time a little bit trickier because you can't really see where you're at and uh, and you hung in there I think you got third, third, yeah. got third again there I'm pretty sure Glenn Olsen took that one out but that was brutal I think I ended up maybe fifth or something in the swim uh, and yeah, you get out of the pool and there's a picture of Terry on I think my blog, uh, on the, the Epic Camp blog, uh, just lying on the side of the pool heaving and, and I was much the same when I got eliminated and then finally we did an, an uphill bike race um, where with that it was every one kilometre somebody got eliminated and I couldn't really handicap that because it would have been just uh, too dangerous so the first couple of kilometres were fairly easy for the stronger riders and then once it got down to the last six or seven, you know, more equal ability it was all on and different tactics the fillinator flew off the front and the final two the pairing was uh, Thierry and, and myself and uh, and the gradient was not in my favour and Terry did exactly what he should have done he stuck on my wheel and I sort of rode tempo and then I thought we'll play a bit of a game here I'll slow it down a little bit and uh, it was not a very good game to play because I can't sprint to save myself and Terry just uh, completely toweled me up in the sprint so it was, it was well done um, Anything else, you know, about the camp that uh, was not what you expected or, or, or did you pretty much got get everything that you signed up for? 
No, definitely. I, I got exactly what I signed up for. You know, big block of training, um, push yourself to places where you, you'd never go. Um, I mean, I think like our rest day was something like six hours of training. You know, it's it would be like your long day at home is like your rest day here. So, uh, you know, and, and just that belief that actually you can do these long hours, you can push through even though you feel, you know, rubbish and but you, you can go on. Um, and as well, like like you said, just on the, I, I took out that cycling race and actually the whole triathlon on that day, you know, against like people that I see as super strong um, athletes. And that gives me belief that, well, maybe one day that'll be me, you know. So, you know, I, that's, that's why I came here to, to, to learn, see how the guys who've qualified, you know, for, for Kona, um, learn from them. Um, and 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 be part of that 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 um, that crew. No, it, it, it's just it's been really really amazing, and I just can't wait for the next one. So uh, <laughs> actually, uh, sign me up for the next one. I don't know where it'll be, but uh, uh, you know, I can put my you can put my name down already. Excellent. No, it's been fantastic to have you along, especially after Rote, and, and we had a number of athletes here that were on Rote, so you kind of knew each other beforehand, uh, and it's, uh, I guess we're now in the countdown to party time, so thanks for coming along, Terry. Yeah, thank you very much, and also a big thank you to support crew, who did an amazing job, um, and, um, you know, as well, so nice to see the faces that from Roth, like two years ago, other people that you hear on from the show, and it's um, just the, the community that is around this camp, and obviously I am talk and whatever. It's, it's just amazing, and it's great to be part of it. So thank you, John, for organizing this, and um, you know, yeah, I can't recommend this this camp enough or any other camp that that you do, in fact. Uh, so so thank you very much. Awesome. Just one thing I'll add there was, was just about Pyrenees multi-sport because our final day that we did through the mountains, and I may have already mentioned this, was um, for me it was uh, the best uh, day that we had in terms of the terrain, the climbing was amazing, the descending was amazing, they were really, really quiet roads and it's not a route that I would have uh, been able to find myself without them. So that's one of the things when you do come over here, um, you know, you, you often think about the, the big climbs like the Tourmalet and... Uh, the obesque and they are fantastic don't get me wrong um, but there's so many little side roads that we did um, that Pyrenees Multisport know about and, and the day yesterday was just spectacular so look them up if you want to come to France they do camps over here they do camps in uh, Corsica they do them in Italy so so check them out it's Pyrenees Multisport and uh, Terry thanks for coming and we'll see you next time thank you cheers questions and answers We're gonna, who, who is this from Hold on, we've got to do Wanger of the Week first, Bevan. Oh, Wanger of the Week. I'm just pulling it up now. Last week we had challenges with uh, with Wanger of the Week, so we'll see if Strava's be behaving this week. It appears to be. Uh, so far this week, uh, Peter Stanillard is in the lead, but last week for the grand totals, holy smoke, somebody absolutely killed it. Julia Raymond total distance on the bike 1149.9 kilometers she a total time for the week was 46 hours and 57 minutes holy crap Julia. Yeah, this, this, this is legit that is impressive is oh, and i can't your profile's private so i can't go and see it Ugh. anyway let's give julia the credit that uh she's from Bourbur in england in the united kingdom and if that's legit Julia, that's a bloody long bike ride. 
good on you. Yeah, that's that's sensational stuff. Okay, then the questions and it's who sent this through, John? Oh, okay. This was. Let me just get my page in I'll front read it of to me. you. It was, it was. It would be interesting to hear from Bevan on whether and how to integrate Les Mills type workout into my mid volume, say fifteen hours a week volume swim, bike, run training prescription. I get a general health and wellness benefits like from stuff like pump, grit, and core workouts. It's just a matter of laying them into the prescription in such a way that as to get general strength and resilience benefits without negatively impacting upon my try workouts. Why would Bevan recommend pump as he did to John and last week? pod is pump better option to doing traditional strength training uh, so who was it from it was from good old Glenn with an N Glenn with an N Olsen who was over on Epic Camp and I think he might have been on last week or the week the week before show Glenn's a big guy big big, big uh, used to be a football uh, not American football used to be a soccer player uh, and he's a solid unit and he qualified for Kona this year so nice work Glenn and yeah so you can answer away and I'll give my two cents worth afterwards so Bevan last week said you should do a bit of pump to me um, and this is what and he's done it, and tell you what, he's looking huge this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what I would say first of Maybe all... Maybe explain what pump is first. Oh, pump, well, we've pushed all everyone pump, but no. pump is, is a, an hour-long, or nowadays there's options of 30, 45 in an hour. Um, mid-range weight, mid-to-light-range weight, lots of reps. So, so you're, high using, rep are you using a bar, or are you yeah, using bars dumbbells? and plates, and no, mm-hmm. plates and bars and stuff like that, and... Mm-hmm. Um, is it all leg based no no, it's a whole body so you do basically about 5 minutes in each muscle group so you do like a squat track you do a lunge track a chest track a back track arms shoulders and core so there is core involved in it as yeah. well yeah, but only I mean, five of minutes. course you get functional core out of doing all that stuff but yep. it's not like CX works which is your foundation yeah. yeah so so would I recommend integrating like a Les Mills type of workouts into you so first of all I'd say your first job is to do your Ironman training so mm-hmm. if you've got a coach and you've got a program your first job is to put that in place the problem for most triathletes is they're not doing the other stuff around that so flexibility mm-hmm. strength and body care kind of work is the thing that doesn't tend to happen um, and it's A, because they don't have time. B, you know, it's another thing. You've got to go to a gym and, and mm-hmm. all the rest of it. Um, and C, often they just don't know how to do it well. Mm-hmm. And so... It's technique. It's technique. Who was that guy? A Tony Little, wasn't it? Tony, <laughs> Tony yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. Um, I remember I met a girl who worked with him when I was in the States working over there. But anyway, um, so so to me, the, the first of all is do your triathlon training. Mm-hmm. But also one of the problems with triathlon is over time most people tend to lose muscle mass. Mm-hmm. So, And if we look at, you know, like um, who's, who's the expert guy who we get on sometimes uh, who wrote the book of 50? Oh, Joe Frill. Joe Frill. Mm-hmm. Like one of the problems for the aging athlete is we don't want to lose muscle mass. Mm. So, you know, strength training is important, A, because it's going to help with injuries, it's going to help be stronger, but also for the aging athlete to make sure you're maintaining some sense of muscle mass. Well, so It can also help your performance significantly oh, if, totally. if that's a limiter for you. Yeah, totally, totally. And so for me, it's first of all, always get your... your, your you, you try some training first. Secondly, you are better off to see a PT who can do a specific program. Mm-hmm. So if you could see a good local PT who knows how to work with endurance athletes, who can spend time assessing your body to give you the, the workout that's specific to your needs, that's way better than just doing a pump class. The thing you've got to factor in with that is... A, you can have the discipline to do it. So that's where pump class gives another advantage, uh, is gives you that discipline, you just got to turn up, you don't have to think. Yeah, totally. But but if we're talking purely for physical results, sure. you're much better off to see a specific, get specific to your needs. Um, a pump workout is a really great general workout for a general population. Mm-hmm. But if you're, you know, one of the biggest causes of 
injury is muscle imbalance. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, you know, they might have a weak glute which isn't firing, which causes low on them problems. So when we know these types of things can cause problems, if you can go see a PT and you're going to go to the gym a couple of times a week and do that, that's where it's, you know, it, it's, it's going to come before like doing a pump. Mm. But like John, do you do any strength work? Uh, well, I do core and I do some plyometric work. Yeah, so but that's you know, so plyometric is explosive training, which is good, but you do want to be doing some strength work on top of that. And so, mm-hmm. to me, where where the pumps can work is someone like John, who's never going to join a gym. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not your buzz, right. um, but you can get some gear at home, and it's going to guide you through. You know, you could do the forty-five minute version. Of it. It's a good, challenging workout. It's going to give you some strength. It's not the same as doing heavy lifting because it's heaps of reps, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's a good foundation. It's going to get you doing something. And it's, to me, better than nothing. Absolutely. When it comes to the Les Mills workout, for a triathlete, for me, the ones you'd want to be looking at doing would be, I wouldn't do grit. Grit's, grit's your hit training. And, um, you know, if you're doing proper triathlon training, especially for endurance, you might have some aspect of hit in there, mm. but it'll probably come in your running and, and your cycling anyway, so you don't necessarily be doing grit. Um, but your pumps, the CX, or now they're, they're changing the name to core in the next period of time, the core is fundamental to me because mm. it's... Most people don't do enough core strength anyway. But yep. the great thing about the Les Mills core workout is it's not just your, your you know your core; it's your fundamentals. It's your hips, your knees, mm. glute glute activation for knee support, those types of things. Um, good core, upper back posture is you basically need a better posture, a better foundation for your body. And I just find when I do my CX and my core workouts, just injury rate drops down a lot because just yep. looking after those little bits that often get injured. So for that, and then the other one is the balance, which is kind of the Les Mills yoga worker, but it's actually a bit more than bit that. More yoga Tai Chi, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit more strength in there, a bit more core in there. So it's just a really good thing. Now, a good thing about Les Mills now, like it used to be you could only do it at gyms, but they've got Les Mills On Demand. And Les Mills On Demand, I think it costs you like 12 bucks a month or something like that, 20 bucks a month. Depends if you're a member or not, and it's yeah. not available everywhere, but yeah, it's... Yeah, and so like the nice thing about it is you can just do it at home. So, you know, and now there are lots of choices like this around the net. And so this is quite specific to my world, so I know these workouts well. So my answer would be, fundamentally, you're actually better off to go see a PT for specific needs. But if you know you're not going to, pump... CX and balance is a really good way to. I would actually say balance is probably probably a bit too long for a triathlete. Mm-hmm. Like I, there's some runners world have got some really good runners yoga, which is about mm-hmm. 15 minutes, which I really like, and I'll do those. But even on YouTube, I just jump on YouTube and I just go 20 minutes of yoga, and mm-hmm. there's some ones that are really good. You know, general, not necessarily specific to cyclists or um, triathletes, but I'm sure if you did a search, you'd find something. Because for us, the thing about the triathlete is we are time poor. So the idea of doing an extra hour and something else becomes a bit of a challenge. So I'll, I'll add just a couple of comments in here because um, Bevan's covered it really well. Is you know one of your questions there, Glenn, was around doing say five sets of five reps to failure uh, over Olympic lifts or something like that. And so my often my philosophy around if you want to do the really heavy strength work is what's your objective of doing that? Obviously, you're probably trying to get stronger. Um, but at what cost? Um, at what time of the year? At what time of the year do you yeah. do that? So, you know, I kind of agree with Bevan, the core work and some general conditioning work, whether that be from a PT or or some lighter load stuff, is injury prevention. Probably not going to make you a faster athlete if you just go pure speed, whereas if you're doing, say, some really heavy lifting, you're thinking, I'm going to be trying to get stronger and more powerful. The By doing core and some some body movement um, exercises, that's mainly done to be as an injury prevention method. And then in theory, you go, well, if I'm not injured, then I am going to perform better. And, you can, and that should be done year round. If you're going to be doing the heavy lifting, 
you know, unless you've got a good reason for it, you probably need to periodise that and decide when in the season you're going to do that if that's something that you want to, you know, path you want to go down. Because everything's a trade-off. So that heavy lifting stuff, a lot of people swear by it. So you've got to be doing got to be doing it. And as Bevan said, if losing muscle mass is an issue, then that's something you might need to be considering. But if you're trying to improve your 5K runtime and you're going and doing yeah, hard bikes, hard swims, yeah, heavy, heavy uh, strength stuff, that's going to be a real challenge. So unfortunately, there's no perfect answer here. It's about prioritising what your specific needs are. But in general, you need to be doing some core and some general strength work. And, and interestingly for me, like I've talked on the show recently, how I've kind of pulled away from a bit more impact and gone a bit more to the weights room. Um, and my body's feeling really great for it. And when even when I'm doing like, we do a workout called Body Attack, which is a very plyometric based workout. Um, and, you know, a year ago, six months ago, I was just always sore and, and sore in not necessarily a good way. Like, you know, like, it's kind of like, shit, how long can I do this for sore? And spending, you know, basically last kind of three months now, I've just been getting the weights room three times a week, doing good quality workouts. And in my impact, I'm feeling so much more, stable and I'm not the, the fatigue factor or the pain factor after which is not so bad so there's definitely a place for this in your training it's definitely the area most triathletes are going to neglect it's just getting that balance right nice one I've got the next one it's from Greg Land uh, he's saying I've been listening to the I Am Talk podcast for many years and find them interesting and informative um, we're close to the same age but we're opposite ends of the field uh, so his main sort of question was uh, am I going to do you know he's sort of in a bit of semi-state of retirement he's technically retired from the sport I would seriously consider getting back in if an opportunity arose to do a camp where um, I have slower athletes and we, we kind of discussed this over the last couple of weeks the Kona camp is is one where um, speed is not uh, especially important. You need to be fit enough to get through. And so, so uh, uh, where's your name there? It's Greg. Um, Greg, come on over to Kona. He also said, based on our advice, uh, he he got a no, he got a Kona slot in 2009. So you have been there through the old lottery system. Um, he also heard about the Midnight Man in uh, the UK, and he went over there and uh, did that. So okay, nice so work. And so, if anybody wants to come along to a you know less speedy camp, then Kona is your place to go. Uh, and also, I am looking at having an Alp Duez camp in. 2021, which will be around the Up to S Triathlon. And still. while we're talking about Sean, let's not forget about our Challenge Road Camp. Challenge Road Camp as well, and that's not speed dependent either. So we've had the full gamut there from sub nine through to people who have been uh, tick- got tickling, the line. tickling the, the final person across yeah. the line. Yeah. So uh, we've still got a couple of space something for road as well. So Greg, get over to Europe and let's do road. Uh, actually, well, I'm going to skip down a couple here because Rob, I'm going to say Dali at the Dow. Uh, Dimitro. Dimitro, there you go. Uh, John, he's just going back to discussion last week. I reckon there needs to be an epic camp in the motherland. <laughs> he's got, come on, John, please consider the UK. Imagine a tour of the Peak District, the Yorkshire Dales, the Lake District, and uh, Snowdonia. Snowdonia. Uh, Donia, Snowdonia. Um, there'll be momentous hills. Uh, 30 up to 30 degree gradients, spectacular scenery, historic sites, a cool 50 metre Udio and the peaks, open water swim spots, galore lakes, and Snowdenia. Uh, be tons of pubs, coffee shops, and places to stay, even a gate crash alley. And Johnny at the Yorkshire, yeah, get him come on to a ride with you, John, um, and rob them of their tea and cake. Come on, John, you know it makes sense. I was very tempted in France and probably tighter than you, you when it comes to parting with my hard earned cash. International travel makes it hard for me, but the Ironman, Ep- I mean, Epic in UK, sell out. Wow. That's amazing you haven't done one there actually, John. Yeah, it's uh yeah. 
weather weather is a, certainly a factor. Yep. Having some reliable weather up in the north there is uh, somewhat challenging. And I agree, it does look amazing. I've watched a tour of Yorkshire a few times, and uh, the riding does look pretty awesome. I've got to say here, Rob, you look like you planted a seed. That's what I'm going to say. You planted a seed, planted Rob. A I'll, seed. I'll consider you it. Planted a seed. Okay, we're going to need another email here from Tim Hemming. He's just got on another point. I also returned to Ironman. He said we want to watch Ironman Decker, the world's first open roads Decker for a feature, and he wrote a piece on Two Two Triathlete magazine. Uh, and he's got some key points. Do you want to go one for one here, John? One guy flew in from India with a huge entourage from the race. Didn't make the 24-hour swim cutoff. Is it, it, oh, really? <laughs> That's a bugger. Yeah. Uh, there were two deckers, the continuous uh, and the one day. The continuous decker started a 24-hour mile swim in a 25-meter school pool. Bugger that. <laughs> <laughs> school pool is going to be pretty average quality I'm picking um, on, the, on the day one deck I saw three women complete uh, only the third fourth and fifth even achieved the ever achieved the feat on the finals days one of the women was getting close to 24 hour mark times distance time meaning a turnaround of less than an hour wow it took place on the hottest day in record in the UK. And then uh, Mike Pritchard, Matt, Matt, Pritchard. M- Matt Pritchard, who goes by the name of Duty Vegan, finished the continuous and fourth. Pritchard found fame in the 90s as the star of the MTV show Dirty Sanchez and was essentially a Welsh version of Jackass. Stunts including being hit by a stepladder and uh, by a car driven at 50 kilometres an hour. He was on a death wish. Was that, was, that the one, was that the one where they jumped out of a plane without a parachute thing? Oh, probably do. And they had to get the mate to catch him and put the pursuit on. Yeah, turn vegan and uh, turned his life around. Pritchard's T2 was 12 hours. The fastest was five minutes. 12 hour T2. Nice. He also had a younger brother, Adam, who was leading the um, one-day decker until day four when he got when he got uh, gastro. Uh, the uh, bike course? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, bike course was eight miles and had one humpback bridge that needed to be traversed 140 times. There was one entrant from the US, he flew in the day before, jet lagged and just about got through the swim and then jumped on his bike, but the hangar had been bent in transit, should have had his spare rear derailed, hangar, John Newsom tip. Uh, got caught in the spoke and wrecked his wheel, at the bike the bike shop patched it up, he borrowed a bike for, uh, for one lap um, before realising it didn't fit, when he did get his bike back, both the tube uh. um, and the tyre blew out, they said it sounded like a jet engine, he was eventually timed out on the run. Oh bugger, one contestant, feet swelled so much, he he had to borrow the organised trainers. Oh. And finally, one contestant who was slipping behind the clock on the run cut short his normal three-hour night sleep to catch up um, some laps on the one-mile run circuit. Uh, he was sleepy. He forgot to reattach his timing chip, oh and they didn't no. count. That would, that would oh, rip that your hurts. undies. That hurts a lot. Yeah. Run distance, and it doesn't get counted. Uh, John, we're doing it next year. <laughs> we are not. <laughs> no way, Jose Sanchez. Okay, John, let's talk about patrons. Andrew Diplodocus Kerr. Uh, I've got Andrew Vickery. No, Andrew Victory Vickery. Victory Vickery, sorry. Okay, good. And Roger the Dodge Dooley. Roger Dodge Dooley. Uh, we've got a new one, John. Yep, Brian Schwind. Uh, I have to admit that I've been a long-time listener to the show and I feel a bit bad that it's taken me this long to buck up here. Are you here uh, now, mate? We love you. It's long overdue, but look forward to the show every Monday. So I'm from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Woohoo! Cue the Billy Joel song in the US, which is between Philadelphia and New York City. I've been doing triathlon for 12 years now. I've done five Ironmans and most uh, of... A sixth at Ironman Court Lane when it was 42 degrees. Didn't go cutting the run there, or did they? Maybe they did. Uh, and a bunch of 70.3s and shorter stuff. I'm going ready for Ironman 70.3 main in a couple of weeks. I'll be doing it with my wife. 
It'll be her first 70.3. He works as the song, John. Out in town. I work as an IT, as a cloud engineer, but love being outdoors and a very avid traveller. New Zealand's on my list of places to hit the next couple of years. The first line is we're living in Ella time. I know, I know. Oh, John, Billy Joel. Do you like Billy Joel? I do like a bit of Billy Joel. When you go on his website, there's a lot of female references in all his songs. I've got the nickname. I know, you? You, I know you've got a nickname. Well, this because I, I looked up Billy Joel well, songs. We'll do, we'll do, we'll do. You can choose. Oh, we can't. We've got to get this because the nylon curtain. The nylon curtain. That's pretty good. Right. <laughs> okay, we'll go with the nylon curtain. The nylon curtain. I was going to go with Big Shot. Big Shot's a good one as well. I think you'll probably want Big Shot. Okay. We, okay, uh, Brian. If you want nylon curtain, it's, it's the last time we're doing this, Brian. Yeah. You could choose. Yeah, but Big Shot. Because we're living down in Ellington. Very good. If you want to come a Patreon on the show, guys, go to I Am Talk, click on the Patreonage page. Like Brian, you get to be a cool person who no longer feels guilty about, <laughs> about supporting the boys and doing what we're doing. You also, you're going to Jordan on a trip to Kona, join the boys next year in Kona as well. So that'd be pretty cool as well. If you want to sponsors of the show, John, the sponsors are? Extreme Your Lactic Buffer. And Generation, you can. And I'm going to say your nutrition. I'm going to say your, your energy feeder. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to call it. If you want to get show email to you, go to imtalk imtalk.me and go to the bottom of the page. You'll see where you can in, in, put your information in. Uh, become a patron. I've already talked about that. Coaching, coachjohnnewson.com. My podcast, bevanjamesoz.com. Other content, age group of the week, cool websites and feedback. Just imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, your goss. Uh, we got our pants pulled down last week in the rugby, but, but then, then we, we pulled, pulled the Aussies down. down and we spanked your bottom like a you know it, Australian, Australians. <laughs> we didn't even just pull you down; we made you walk down the streets there, and everyone's going shame, yeah. shame. They didn't even score a point, John. Yeah, that's a shocker. It was a shocker. Uh, so that that was all good. Uh, it's the first time in a long time that I've gone. I'm watching the rugby. Definitely watch, watching it, and I really cared about winning this one too. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay, who's your World Cup prediction? For, if we're winning, for the win, yeah. Oh, we've got to win it. We've got so much depth. Yeah, so I did like your point last week. Yeah, depth wins. But wins last week, wins. We, we had two players. Ben Smith, one of the New Zealand's greatest rugby players of all time. And then Ione, who's this guy's this winger, in the last few years has been a freak. Mm. They didn't play well, so the All Blacks dropped them. Bring two new guys in. Amazing. Rock stars. So, you know, I'd be confident with our depth. Yeah, we can go to our third 15 and we're still pretty decent. So I think that's what that'll do it. But... Uh, yeah, other than that, Bevan, I've got a, a new training partner. Oh, who's this? Felicity Newsome. Oh, really? Going out, she's training for, so I'm now going out and doing running with her, which is quite fun. What, what's up? Run. What's the race? She's qualified into the Canterbury team oh. uh, to go away to the inter-regionals, and I've got a very strict training program they've got to follow, so I'm out there doing... Well, as a coach, what are you, what's your judgment of the program? It's fine. It's good. Yeah, good. no, it's got some good hard running. Teaching them how to run hard. Teaching them how to run easy as well. Uh, so that's they, usually they, a bigger challenge. I know, I know we don't want to be too anal with kids, but do they give them? Do they talk about like paces? Uh, or was it more just feel? No, they're not so much run to five minute K pace. So there's there's definitely the pace. Uh, there's like run with your grandmother pace. Um, okay, nice. And then there's yes, yeah, then run with John Newsom paces. Yeah, yeah. three three or four <laughs> levels um, of pacing, but not not a speed with a GPS watch or anything like that. So that's good times. Um, feeling pretty good with when I go out exercising. I'm happy about that. Epic Camp obviously helped out in that regard. Oh, true. Outside of that, I've got the regional secondary schools duathlon champs next Monday, and going planting more trees this weekend. Where are you planting trees? Where Where are we off to this weekend? I think the groins. This is my son's sort of community service. So what's that school thing? Yep. 
So that's all good. What's happening in your world, Ben? Is he enjoying it? Uh, he's ticking it off. His, his his passion project is skateboarding. So that's what I did at the weekend. I went skateboarding. He's not progressing quite you as much. You went as, skateboarding. I used to be reasonably good at skateboarding oh, in the days, but probably haven't been on a skateboard can you since do like I was a, 14. Can, can you do tricks? Well, funnily enough, you know, getting back on the skateboard was Are you wanting, pretty to, break, wanting to break your leg? It's been, you know, it's been 30 years nearly yeah. since I've been on a skateboard. Went out there on the weekend, got my confidence up. Wait, did you buy yourself a board? I bought the kids a board each, <laughs> conveniently. <laughs> so went out there with Tom and did a bit of skateboarding, went down to Beckenham School, we had to push to get down there. So oh, this feels a bit shaky, started to get the hang of it. Thought I'm going to try to do an ollie. You know what yeah, an ollie yeah, is? Yeah. Do mate, an ollie. Do took, I know took, what an ollie is? Took me a couple to get it, but then I was like, ollie, I was like, mate, I've still got it. I, I was never much of a skateboarder. Mm. Maybe when we were kids, they were huge too, weren't they? Oh, we skated a lot. Yeah. Skate to school every day. What's happening with you other than turning a year old or Bevan? 42. Mm-hmm. What do you, what's your birthday dinner? You know, like, because you have your birthday dinner, don't you? Mm. If it was my mum cooking, it would be a nice piece of roast beef with Yorkshire pudding and uh, a nice what's roast potatoes. Um, it's basically flour and water and an egg baked with some oil and fat. Normally they, normally they use lard. And is it, you get, does the meat give the flavour? And then you kind of just... Pour the shit out of gra- gravy all over that bad boy. I love gravy. So I, I have a whole pool of gravy on my plate. The half plate. And then you're food. licking the plate afterwards. Oh, yeah. Gravy's good. My mum makes the best gravy. When Joe and I moved in together, because Joe's family is a bit more proper than my family, and the first time, and Joe's, Joe's pretty cool because he doesn't really judge me for my, my, just my grossness. And um, But I remember one of the first times we had dinner together, and I grabbed the plate, and I licked the crap out of the plate. I can tell she was not. I go and hide in the kitchen to do that. <laughs> Just going to lick it like an animal. <laughs> uh, so, so, okay. What do you have to do? Uh, pavlova. Mum's pavlova. You're like a pav. Mummy's boy. What's so good about your mum's pav? She just gets it right. Just that nice, con- plenty of moisture in the middle and crunchy on the outside. She's yeah. perfect. Would Americans know pavlova? Uh, you don't get pav in America. No. It's a Kiwi don't. thing. Don't go claiming it, you Aussies. It's a Kiwi thing. Yeah, that's right. Um, Might another two-hour show here, Bevan. Yeah, I, well, mine's chicken. Chicken. A roast chicken. You and Kylie Cox should hang out. Does she like roast chicken, does she? <sighs> really? Does she what? Oh, that's why her nickname is the chick. What did she you go with in the end? You went with hot chick. The colonel's so much yes, better. Yes, hot chick. Yes, I knew I knew. Um, yeah, roast chicken. So Joe made me a roast chicken last night, with, and I love stuffing. Mm. Do you like stuffing? Stuffing's good. I would almost have a, a chicken made out of stuffing. Mm. Love stuffing. So I had stuffing and then apple crumble. Nice. Oh, and then, do I, do you, so I made a fatal error last night, John. Because, mm. you know, five bits of dark chocolate every night. It's, mm-hmm. That's my thing. My big cup of tea, five bits. So birthday, Joe made me apple crumble great. Don't tell me you went six. No, well, no. So so I had an apple crumble and I, I love apple crumble. So I didn't yeah. go shy. And you got to have cream of apple, apple crumble. Mm. So I pretty much had... A whole thing of cream yeah. with my apple crumble. Yeah, I was feeling pretty crook afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> and that was probably about eight o'clock, and we, we were going to bed in about now. So I thought I'll still have my chocolate in my cup of tea, oh. which was a big mistake. Yeah. So I ate my chocolate and I went to bed, and my stomach it took me like an hour and a half to get to sleep. Yeah. It was not a good combination, very unwise. So team, don't do dark chocolate with apple crumble and cream and roast chicken beforehand. And roast, and because I, I pretty much had the whole chicken. Mm. Oh team. Good stuff. Anyway, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm a note. Train hard. Train smart. Kick Kick up.